Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. But today is not just one guest. It's not just two guests. No, we've got 10 to go along with today's movie. We're talking about a movie that I just wanted to talk about. This is this is one of my picks. We're talking about Friday the 13th Part 2 today. And the the guests are all comprised of trustees, which are members of the With Gorley and Russ Discord. It's a fun place full of some just incredibly knowledgeable horror fans. Um, and I was thinking that the best way to handle this so that it would be to have everyone go around, introduce yourself so that people can put a voice to a name as best as possible. Um, and then I thought it would be interesting to hear a little bit how you came to the Friday the 13th franchise, if it's something maybe that Matt and Paul introduced you to, or if it's something that you grew up on, etc. Um, and why don't we start with the head honcho himself, uh, the mod of the Discord, Dustin. Oh, hi there. Uh, well, Friday the 13th for me was the thing that started. Uh, I started working at a movie store and I, I was into horror quite a bit, but I didn't know that I knew old Jason. You know, everyone knows Jason, but I, I hadn't really gone through the whole thing. I didn't really have that knowledge. And it, it was quite a little store and we had time. So uh, we had those to watch. And boy, did we. It was always uh, really fun. Jason was uh, one of my all-time favorites. So, yes, uh, that's that's how Jason really got started for me. I Probably when I was 16, 17. Um, although I did have a run-in with Jason earlier, which I will explain maybe when we get there in the story. So. Uh, awesome. And uh, just for, for everyone can answer this in, the, in their answer as well. Sort of where in general do you feel like Friday the 13th as a franchise sits in terms of you know, franchise horror in general. Dustin, you, you want to... <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> you opened it up to everyone, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll sorry, wait. I just meant, <laughs> roll that in. Roll that sorry. In. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly one of the best. I think it's really harmed the franchise that we haven't really been able to have it for quite a long time now. And yeah. with the remake being kind of, you know, people kind of love it now in some ways. It's really a shame. But uh, I, I would put personally Halloween at the top and then probably Friday the 13th right below uh, that's just how it goes. That's just what it is. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm just going to go in order from where I'm looking. Greg, you're up next, my man. Great. Hi. Uh, my name is Greg. Um, I came to the series when I was in middle school, back when I was like first getting into horror in general. Uh, I was a massive coward as a child and would like, cover my eyes whenever like a horror trailer comes on TV or whatever. I just refused to even like just the idea of watching a scary movie so like repulsed me for so long but then i ended up seeing evil dead in middle school and very shortly after i think i got recommendations from my older brother or something like if you like that you should definitely check out friday the 13th as well and you know jason's kind of like oprah or mario where just like everybody just has a knowledge of him some kind of right you know everyone knows the iconography and all that um so i watched the first friday the 13th and i i loved it and i was a big fan but was very confused because you know jason's not really in that movie <laughs> right. um but then shortly after i think i told my brother like yeah i watched it but i don't get it, it jason's not in it and so he's like well you got to watch part two and the rest of them like it all builds up so i watched part two which is and i mean since then it's been my absolute favorite that was one that delivered in all the kind of like cultural expectations of the series because you had all these slasher elements, and then you also have Jason for the first time. So, um, yeah, that's and then since then, I've been a massive fan. Um, and in terms of like rankings, it might be pound for pound the best horror franchise for me. I love Halloween one, 
Um, I mean, it's an incredible movie, but that series is all over the place. This is the one where anyone can name one of the movies. It's someone's favorite, and there's a great defense as to why it, it can't be yeah. someone's favorite. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, Austin, you're up next, my man. So I think I came to uh, the Friday series. Uh, I, I think the first I heard of it was probably like fifth grade, and it was like that recess talk where the Jason gets talked up, and he's like this huge thing. And it, I, I'd never seen one, didn't really know anything, and it uh, just kind of became a thing in my head. And it, it was scarier than it would end up being, of course. But <laughs> I probably didn't end up watching it until I, th- I think the first one I ever saw was either Jason X or Freddy versus Jason or something, and it, it didn't really stick. But then um, at some point they were on Netflix, I think, back when they had things that weren't made by netflix (laughs) and so uh me and a buddy watched through them and uh had a lot of fun and in the past couple years i've come to really enjoy them and like others have already said it's not necessarily my favorite but it's definitely the most consistent and uh each one each movie has its uh champions um i mean you can't really say that about any other franchise so i think that's probably what it its strongest point yeah it's a really unique strength i think that friday the 13th has they might say like oh most of the fridays are like a seven across the board um and it winds up just being really really consistent incredibly consistent through the entire franchise i'm sean you're up next hey uh my name is sean i would Similar to Greg, I was terrified of horror movies as a kid because I watched It when I was like seven years old in the middle of the night at my friend's house, and it just scarred me because it was a two VHS set and we only watched the first one, and so <laughs> it just it messed me up, man. I, I didn't sleep that night, and so I didn't watch another horror movie by choice until I was about seventeen. I got into John Carpenter, and then um, I think my first Jason movie, I, I honestly, man, is Jason Ten. And I, that's why I feel like I'm always a defender of Jason X. Everyone else hates that movie, but I think let me, that let was me my... also jump in and say that this is the first time I've ever heard it called Jason Ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to sound like a philistine and like I don't understand Roman numerals, so I would rather sound extra educated as I talk about how much I love Jason Ten. But um, but I think it's just campy and goofy and then i was at this metal concert and i saw a kid that had a what would jason do t-shirt and it had ww jason mask d and so i said well i want that t-shirt but in order to wear that t-shirt i should see those movies (laughs) so when i was about 20 years old i made my way through the series wow it was the temptation of sacrilege that drew you in (laughs) it was (laughs) all right josh hey i'm josh uh So I actually, I watched a lot of horror as a kid and I watched like all the Freddy movies and the Halloween movies as I could get my hands on them, but I hadn't seen a Friday the 13th movie until a couple of years ago. For some reason it was like, I looked at it as the also ran of the group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just kind of a blind spot. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, I kind of looked down my nose at it a little bit, thinking that they were all the same. And then about 10 years ago, I was hired to actually shoot a movie that was inspired by Friday the 13th, amongst other things. Um, 
And so I watched clips of it, but I had never still seen the whole thing, <laughs> which is even worse to say that like you've, you've made this, you know, teens in a cabin movie and you'd never seen a Friday the 13th. Um, and then a couple years ago, for some reason, I decided to fill in the blind spot and I figured I would marathon all of them, uh, which I did. And I, now I've done that for the past, this will be the fourth year of watching wow. all of them in a row. Um, every year and I don't know why because I still when I go to like the Halloween or the Freddy movies I still find you know more nostalgia there but these are definitely growing on me and yeah. so it's really and now hard you've embedded to embedded it as a tradition so it'll exactly. be hard to shake <laughs> yeah and now it's it's hard to like put them you know do I rank nostalgia over over general quality or what these are the questions that haunt yes. us yes <laughs> as nerds uh all right jason our very own jason my name is jason and i was born on halloween wow. and so this has just kind of been in and around my life forever this is your legacy yeah i remember like adults whenever they would meet me and and find out my birthday they'd be like oh like the movies because they are dumb and they would combine the two <laughs> um so that caused me to go search out, figure out what the heck they were talking about. Although it wasn't my first horror series, it is uh, Friday the 13th is definitely my favorite of all of them. Yeah. It just, it's the one I've watched the most. Um, you know, I did probably start a lot earlier than some, you know, 12 or 13. Um, but Earlier than me, that's for sure. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and I probably started with something like six, you know, six or seven. Yeah. And I was like, this is wild. Let's go see what the earlier ones were. And they were <laughs> more tame, if you will. Yeah. The earlier six is kind of where it does become like the, the, the comedy really sort of gets infused there in a very purposeful manner. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, <laughs> Pan Weaver. Over there. Yeah. Uh, look, whether you think, whether or not you think the comedy yeah, succeeds is yeah. another matter altogether. But there is no denying that they were intending there to be comedy in number six. Um, and so it can be really interesting to come into it late and see something like Jason X, Jason 10, if you will, and, <laughs> and, come in and then go back and see sort of the very like limited scope and scale of where it began. And even as it grew, you kind of like look up and all of a sudden it's this crazy franchise that we know. Like if it feels like kind of like the lobster in the pot that doesn't realize it's boiling until all of a sudden you're in space and freezing people's heads with nitrogen and smashing them on the counter. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much where it started. I've, uh, horror is pretty much where my allegiances lie as far as movies go in general. Um, I'm more of a body horror type of guy, but uh, the slasher has a place in my heart for sure. All right, Garrett. Hi, I'm Garrett. Uh, so Jason was kind of always around. Uh, I think my first introduction is probably, Bark, you want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? <laughs> uh, so Simpsons and just cultural everything. Sure. Uh, so you knew who Jason was. But uh, the first one that I remember uh, trailers was probably Goes to Hell. Uh, those trailers were everywhere. It was the fire and the, the snake and just so far removed from anything that uh, my brain had <laughs> uh, associated with Jason, but uh, I don't think I really watched them in earnest until, uh, similar to 
to craft uh, around my video store days. So uh, that's after high school um, is when I would have gone in because I hadn't seen the original at that point, and it's like, oh, that's that's the sacred sacred one. And little did I know, sacred part two text. is is where it's at, man. <laughs> But uh, and and seeing it on cable, I I know I saw eight a dozen times on TV, uh, TV cut. But but yeah, he's always been around. Hell yeah! All right, Russell. Okay, hey, it's Pant Weaver. You may also know me as everybody in the Discord. Um, I came to these as a thirty-year-old person. I had essentially never watched horror movies as a child. I think I brought it up to the Discord. Uh, to you once I think maybe the only horror movie I'd ever seen the most horrifying movie was Passion <laughs> of the Christ which you, you can talk about that it's <laughs> sure. a fairly horrifying movie also a hit piece on the Jews by Mel Gibson <laughs> but we'll not really get into that Mel is banned from the <laughs> anyway. show you're not allowed as a guest Mel <laughs> that's a good thing we will not daddy's home that's a little horror Billy. <laughs> yeah, so I listened to the first maybe three or four episodes of uh, with Gorley and Rust on the Friday movies, and they just sort of painted such a picture. I was like, I have to see what this looks like. I'm terrified of these. I've always been afraid of horror movies. I know they're going to look like snuff films and have horrible, <laughs> you know, terrifying <laughs> visuals. Then I watched the first one. I was like, oh, this is stupid. But I really liked it. There's something very gritty about like that late seventies <laughs> yeah. feel. And I think that's what's special about the Friday movies. I feel like they sort of carry that through, even though they are thought of as like typical eighties slasher movies, which they sort of are in style and stuff, but they really carry through that late seventies like Black Christmas, Halloween ripoff, slasher, like almost sleaze. It's not quite sleaze in the Friday movies, but it's yeah. pretty close to that. I mean, it's, so, yeah, yeah, you start getting really to around five when it's literally directed by, like, porn directors and stuff, and, and there <laughs> mm-hmm. is a, a certain sleaziness <laughs> to a lot of them, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Brian, hit us. All right, so I came to Friday the 13th, and, like, uh, I was pretty young, like, eight. <laughs> uh, I probably started out with the fifth, yeah, part five to bring it back, um, and I, they just seem like fun, you know, dumb fun. I always liked like Halloween more as like a cinematic uh, experience, uh, but uh, Friday the Thirteenth just always seemed like uh, the people involved were having fun and. Uh, you know, yeah. just really enjoying it, and that's sure. Halloween's an art house. Friday the Thirteenth is the people's show. <laughs> I have mentioned this before on the podcast, but Friday the Thirteenth is the series that really got me into horror. Uh, as I got older and wanted to get sort of into the genre, I had sort of dipped my toes in some of the more comedic movies, like Cabin in the Woods, and had even somehow made it through The Descent which I genuinely like looking back at that movie, not sure how I did that. Um, But, uh, you know, I decided I was going to marathon the big horror franchises as exposure therapy and that I would get used to horror while also getting to sort of see it evolve. And so I did Friday and then Nightmare and then Halloween and then Hellraiser and then Child's Play. And by the time I was done, I sort of felt prepared for what the genre could throw at me. And of course, 
feeling that way is more important to getting into horror than actually being exposed to anything scary, considering how few times that authentically happens in those franchises. You know, those mo- those movies might prepare you uh, for some of the trappings of horror, but you know, it certainly gets a lot more intense than, than some of the scenes in those. Um, but I think it's really fortuitous for me that I started with Friday the 13th because, like we've talked about a little bit already, there's no doubt in my mind that it's the most consistent franchise. And if I had started with Nightmare or even Halloween or, God forbid, Hellraiser, you know, who knows I, Who knows how much I would have wanted to persist once I started getting into, like, Hellworld and Deader. But luckily, because I grew up in New Jersey and I went to camp every summer and even worked at one as a counselor... This was obviously the series that sort of held the most appeal to me, and uh, I, you know, I'm I'm grateful for that. I think that uh, similar to a couple people in here, where I, I watched the first one, and I was like, you know, I knew that the killer wasn't Jason, but I was still sort of left wanting a little more. And I think that it does showing the first one to people late. I think can be really effective in an interesting way because you sort of do play on that cultural expectation of Jason being the killer at the end of it and the whole time people are like waiting and waiting and waiting for Jason to show up and then so finally when Betsy Palmer shows up I think it really does play against their own expectations in a really interesting way Um, and then for it to continue evolving in, in such a great and you know some people might call it downward trend I call it uh, upward, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Um, I, I think that this movie, this franchise in particular, really knows how to have fun while still maintaining sort of the spirit of what it's always been, which is not necessarily the case for the rest of the franchise. Very true. So you mentioned being a camp counselor. Do you feel somewhat guilty uh, for Jason's <laughs> death and creation? <laughs> Um, You know, it's funny because I actually was, like, the nature counselor, which meant that I spent a lot of time, like, wandering around in the woods and stuff. So uh, I I feel a little guilty, if I'm honest. You know, I could have been there for him, our little frog boy. And uh, (laughs) fortunately, I... I I do, I do, I think we're all, all camp counselors through all time are complicit (laughs) in the death of Jason. It's like original sin. Yeah, exactly. All we can do is, all we can do is hope to atone. Is there actual talk of like Jason and stuff when you are a camp counselor? Oh, absolutely. Especially in New Jersey. Like you, there is no escaping that for sure. And this was before I had seen it. And of course you have the cultural osmosis of, the, anytime someone has a hockey mask, they're like, her, her, look, I'm Jason. <laughs> like, that's just what happens growing up. <laughs> Whether you, Goalie is really so, angry. Yeah. So, George, <laughs> did you ever scare kids with the hockey mask? Look, I didn't scare kids with the, with the hockey mask, but I was the Ouija board mover. <laughs> I was that guy. <laughs> so You were the Ted? Yeah, exactly. I was the Ted. Um, so you have Ted's abs. <laughs> this watch and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Hey George, I don't think I've ever heard anybody admit to moving the Ouija board, so that's pretty cool. Man. <laughs> Look, I, yeah, I, I cut have no shame about it. I think that <laughs> no way, no way. Um, I, th- 
They might be listening think, right now. I think the Milton brothers might be coming after you. Well, it's funny because it like happened, and then years later, I like casually mentioned it to these same friends who were like around the Ouija board, and several of them were like, "What? I had no idea. I thought it was real this whole time." And it just really blew me away, and I really couldn't believe that they all thought it was the, that real. And um, look, I I have to imagine people out there that uh, a lot of groups have a George in them. So maybe take whatever you hear from a Ouija board with a grain of salt. That's that's just my advice. Um, so this was actually a Friday 2 was intended to turn the Friday franchise into an anthology series about other crimes that took place on Friday the 13th, sort of the way that Halloween 3 did. But... Because Friday the 13th was such a huge success, and people went nuts specifically for Betsy Palmer and the Voorhees story, uh, the producers insisted that they quickly had to pivot and make this the uh, continued story of Camp Crystal Lake. And importantly, this continued story consists of Jason being the antagonist of the series, and Friday 2 is his introduction, uh, although not in his final form or even his most ubiquitous form with the hockey mask. But I still think that there is a lot of credit due to Friday 2 for introducing one of the most long-lasting horror icons of all time. And, I, you know, this is just one of my opinions. I think that uh, this, this does get some pushback occasionally. But I think that as iconic as the hockey mask is, I think that the bag head is scarier and a more interesting look, ultimately. Um, I think that the hockey mask look is great. I like it a lot. And uh, But I, I just think that what Friday 2 introduces as Jason, I just think is, is so great. And I would love to hear uh, people's thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you mentioned earlier with somehow benefiting from maybe watching some later ones first and then going back to that first and then learning of that twist with Pamela. Kind of like with my expectations of the series where I watch the first one expecting Jason you don't get him the second one you get him but it's still a surprise because it's not the Jason you think about when you hear Jason talked about um so it's got that going for it and I just think you're right it is just the more the scarier design yeah although it is it's taken from another movie right uh, if people know the, the town that dreaded sundown yeah, um, which uh, this is a far better movie than that, so I'm totally fine with Jason just taking that look for This itself. only has one eye hole. It's totally different and legally yeah. distinct. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie... It is kind of crazy that it just took an entire design, just basically a wholesale, yeah. Still waiting for the trombone kill cut mm. of Friday. <laughs> still, come on. Well, and there's, uh, like, some, but yeah, I don't know what you're going to say, but basically there's also a part of it where you got to think about why he ever even put the bag on in the first place. Um, so is there a story of, you know, him scaring people in the woods and realizing he needed to cover his face? Like, it's just all so ambiguous that it's just an extra layer of tension of trying to figure out why is he even covering his right, face? Right, because there's no, there's no, yeah, yeah the Halloween, uh, the first one's not Halloween. Uh, they established, like, you know, the mask killer uh, trope that you see in a lot of other like, slashers. And then, yeah, this series didn't have that for the first yeah. one. So this is its introduction, and it's 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 a great looking mask. It's visually distinct than the others, and um, yeah, of course, the, the, yeah, the hockey mask is iconic. It's always been my preferred Jason too. There's something super like that's a lot more primal about the bag, mm-hmm. rather than the more civilized. Like the bag could come from his shack right. out in the middle of nowhere. You know, someone else had to almost hand him the hockey mask <laughs> from civilization. <laughs> 
So there's something like very kind of natural and naturalistic about that bag yeah. that's just, I don't know. I do find it creepier, and it, it works on that level, I think, a little bit more than the hockey mask does. Yeah, it fits far better into a camp setting does it, yeah. than a hockey mask. Well, the bag is very humanistic, whereas like hockey mask Jason could be a robot for all we know. It completely robs him of his humanity. But like bag Jason could be a hillbilly, like a crazy guy. Yeah. Like there's a whole prequel movie of him wandering bagless into a church and the people <laughs> saying, Free, free you know, and he puts on the bag because Sanctuary. he's afraid. <laughs> I think I think his whole costume is really humanizing because those first shots where it's just his boots walking through the wa- the water those just look like average workers boots they don't look like some kind of frankenstein monsters boots that have been decaying in the woods for decades like he looks like a dude that's just out wearing well, jeans yeah. and boots walking around in the neighborhood <laughs> so this, this is such a different jason vibe than anything else and it feels a lot more human to me and i think that's why i'm drawn to this movie and to this jason specifically uh where like it's not as iconic with the the mask but the vibe of this jason is scarier than any of the others for my money so that that brings up a point that i noticed in this most recent uh watch preparing for this um but jason almost feels like he shopped at like a sears catalog or something like (laughs) he's dressed like a normal guy except he's got a bag on his head he's very working class jason he uses a pickaxe and a (laughs) a, you know a pitchfork yeah well yeah it it does feel like he just grat like on his way out the door he was like ah shit i can't let them see my face like let me just grab whatever i have lying here oh here's a bag poke eye hole in it good to go yeah it really is the most human jason and seeing this one after having my idea of Jason in my head, uh, he's already kind of the supernatural rage demon thing that comes later. Uh, and the thing that always stuck out was taking the tea kettle off was the most human act he could do. And mm. it, 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 I couldn't ever parse it. It was like, why would you even do that? And, and so it's you, you <laughs> do have to frame it as like it's the human that's like, oh, shit, I better... Well, better pop this kettle off um but uh someone will hear this and i'll be discovered that move is emphasized because that's the final thing before the title card yeah is him moving a kettle it's such a weird (laughs) thing to emphasize but there it is but does he does he turn the stove (laughs) off is the real question does he make tea is that's a good question does he have a drink we don't see (laughs) it off just to make sure that it was filled and and it hadn't uh, boiled away Uh, he had a nice afternoon he got a a chamomile for the road english breakfast (laughs) yeah uh, so uh, sean cunningham was the director of friday the 13th and one of his buddies who did a lot of the behind the scenes work on the movie was Steve Miner. Steve was an associate producer, an assistant director, unit production manager. If you had a title, you bet that Steve Miner was behind you on Friday the 13th. And Sean did not want to work on Friday 2 because, first of all, he wasn't in love with slashers or even very proud of his work on the first one, which... You know, now that he's in, embroiled in this lawsuit, he seems awful proud of it now. But uh, he, he he still wanted it to be handled by someone that he trusted. So Miner was brought in to sort of keep that experienced hand guiding things along. And 
This is Miner's directorial debut, uh, although he would go on to collab with Sean again. Uh, and Steve ultimately made several classic horror movies, including Friday the 13th 3, where Jason does finally get his mask. So, you know, Steve Miner really had a huge, huge, huge impact on the Friday franchise. Um, and uh, he also made a house, Halloween H2O, Lake, Lake Placid. Placid. He did oh, some fun TV. A classic. Classic. Um, and uh, he did some fun TV episodes as well, including the Derby episode of Spike. Oh, hello, Brand Brian. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Hey, you got to keep the brand power. George, one day we'll talk about Lake Placid and how it's one of the best romantic <laughs> films of all time. <laughs> Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson. Wow. And one day we'll talk about H2O and how that is one of the greatest romances of all time between uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. And a bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a day. Look, I, I really like a lot of Miner's output. I think House is really good, too. I think that... House is... Yeah, House was an er- another early one for me that kind of... Um, it, that one really scratched like an Evil Dead itch for me when yeah. I was younger. I, I, those movies, uh, yeah, that one had a big impact. The second on one has one of the best subtitles in horror history. How's the <laughs> yeah. second story? This, Come on, let's get better than that. <laughs> that's genius. I love H two O. I've never heard that. That's brilliant. Oh yeah, H two O. I'm a big fan. Mm, yeah. I love H two O as well. That's a yeah, um, yeah. And this one, you can kind of tell it's an early film by, you know, uh, by Minor because it, it does kind of feel experimental at points. Friday too. Mm. Um, there's a lot of POV. There's a lot of like very, you know, it, it kind of starts on an opening scene too, where he fakes you out. Where you know, it's already a trope at this point to have the POV of the killer, mm-hmm. right? In right. slashers, like it, I mean, Halloween one starts with that in the first couple seconds, and this one when it's going through Alice's house and it has that slow push towards her shower, where you kind of think it might be a psycho thing, mm. and then she pulls the curtain back and she's staring right down the barreled camera. It feels like he's playing around with these ideas of what slashers have been doing before. Yeah. He does that later with the girl who doesn't wear a bra, whose name I can't remember, but she pops You're going to have to narrow it down. <laughs> it almost looks like Airplane is so strange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, was going to say that, yeah, the POV things, I think he goes back He goes back to that well a few times yeah. in this movie. And it always kind of it keeps attention high, because you never know if it actually is Jason's well, famously, POV the, or if he's just guy, messing around with you. Uh, you can't see Jason in the shot and then it flips and he was there the whole time. So it's messing with your mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely like right. staring in that direction the whole um. time. <laughs> but what if Jason was in the rafters and he did a oh. lower down Michael Myers H2O Whoa. <laughs> catch it to the face. This was Minor was calling wow, a shot. Minor early. knew yeah. all along. This he's really incorporating <laughs> these, these call outs that he would have later. Um, Great job, Steve. <laughs> um, Adrian King did come back from the first one as Alice, the lone survivor of Friday the 13th. Um, she had a really small role, and the reason why is kind of debated, which is weird. You'd think that it would just be like, here's why, um, but that's not the case. Um, some people claim that she asked for more money than Paramount was willing to shell out, and that ultimately... Uh, that's the only, that's basically what it boiled down to is that they were just like no we're just not going to hire you basically. Um, she also reportedly was stalked by a fan of the first movie and wanted less limelight at the time, you know, kind of fading away from movies in general uh, for a pretty long time before kind of coming back to do voice performances. Um, and then recently she said to Screen Rant. 
um, that she didn't know that Alice was going to die until they got there, that there was no script for this scene at all, um, and that she... It was the last thing that they filmed, so it was a skeleton crew, and I can imagine that it didn't feel very nice to be treated like an afterthought like that. Um, so uh, that kind of sucks, but... I, you know, it's just, it's kind of just a weird point that, like, uh, they went to the effort to bring her back and then, like, treated her like crap, but then, you know, people can't even settle on why exactly she didn't have more. Uh, I just think it's weird. Sounds like Halloween 5, right? Yeah. She, she's third build, too. Story-wise. Third billing. Right. Story-wise, yeah, you have to I make was, some jumps to get Jason. Yeah, to her it's a apartment. weird scene in general. It's like is he taking, is he taking public transit? Uh, like, yeah, he's, it's just he's very outside weird. of Camp Crystal Lake. Exactly. He apparently knows her telephone number because he calls her at one point to psych her. That's gonna be the only kill that he like actively hunts down outside of Crystal Lake, right? Hmm. And like two months later, no, yeah, to be fair, like, she it, killed. That's his just mom. a weird one in general. It's like five months later. Well, I th- I think that she probably like. I think that he, like, set up camp. Hey. Camp Crystal Lake, even. (laughs) And the whole time, uh, Alice was in the hospital still. He's calling her every damn day to check and see if she's there. (laughs) Finally, she shows up. She she picks up the phone. He says, my time has come. Click. Into the house we go. Murder time. So is that his first kill? Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's never mentioned. I mean, it's not like Pamela before he says he killed anyone before, yeah. right? This yeah. is the first one he's probably committed. Yeah, I was talking about that last night when I was Maybe watching it. it. Like, if you're watching this for the first time in the theater when it came out, then based on that kill, you're thinking that that's how the movies are going to go for the rest of time. Is that he's going to like hunt people down and kill them or something? But then it just never happens again. It's just always <laughs> at the camp again. It's, it's just weird. It's a strange kill. It makes sense to me. Well, you know, it's that first yeah. time. It's for revenge. She it's decapitated little, his mother. Extra. <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> he said, this one is worth leaving the bounds yeah. of the camp, Only have I one suppose. mom. <laughs> and then by the, time, by the time Manhattan rolls around, he's True. like, all right, whatever. Let's just go for it. Those passport stamps and everything. Walk he, up to Toronto. He turned on, he turned on <laughs> rage go. mode from the video <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um... The heroine this time around, though, is Ginny Field, played by Amy Steele, and she played the role with a natural ease, uh, perhaps because, by her own admission, she wasn't taking it particularly seriously, but, you know, that to me, that's fine. I don't want serious Friday the 13th movies. I want silly, fun slashers, and I think that she really brings a breeziness to this performance that I really, really like. Um, in fact, my slightly warm take, I've seen it around, but I have also gotten pushback on this. I think that Ginny is, in fact, the best final girl, in quotes, uh, of all time, with my apologies to Miss Strode. I think that Ginny really has a lot going for her. She's very capable. She's very smart. She gets the hits in, but she also still feels uh, very human, I think, and, and sort of well-rounded as a, as a character. Um, I'm, I definitely, this is something I also would love to hear people's thoughts on. Well, she definitely, like earlier on, um, before she gets back to the camp and the scene at the bar, uh, she gets to philosophize <laughs> about a little bit and actually kind of, um, try trying to pick apart his MO a little bit, uh, and, 
has a little bit of an understanding of Jason. It plays into uh, her character development. They said she's a ch- studying to be a child psychologist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Very subtly yeah. dropped in for payoff. Using your child yes. psychology degree. It's interesting for me to hear you say she wasn't taking it that seriously because I feel like she plays it pretty seriously, and I think that's a strength of her. I think she's a really interesting. I think this whole movie is a very interesting look at brand recalibration. They're really setting up as okay, Jason's the guy now. He wasn't a frog boy in a lake. He was a dude this whole time, and here's here's the psychology Frog behind dude. him. I think she works really well at that. I think she, I agree with you. I think she may be the best final girl ever. I think a lot helped is she's very blonde and she doesn't look like she has any eyebrows, which really makes her look super horrified at the end of the movie. Like she really goes there. It's, yeah, <laughs> she she has a great look. That that shot of her at the end holding the pitchfork kind of oh, at yeah. the camera. Um, I've seen that used as like a poster in a lot of the material too. Uh, but that is such a great image because she is really selling the fear of the moment. Um, you know, they're waiting for Jason to kind of open the door because they hear something outside. But also like this kind of stern resistance too. Like she's gonna be fighting even though she's you know scared out of her wits. It's it's a wonderful moment and it's like you know a completely silent piece of acting. But she really yeah. sells it. Yeah. So Greg, during that moment. I, I just want to bring up the score of this movie. I noticed today, it's really, really yeah. good. <laughs> that moment when Jenny's in the kitchen, standing with the knife, and Jason's banging on the door, there's this, this sustained high, high violin note, and then just this it's almost melodic or rhythmic bell or something sound. And it goes for about 20 seconds, and it builds such high tension. And I, I, the score was just like beautifully edited into this movie I noticed today that I hadn't noticed previously. Yeah, Harry Manfredini really just killing the game in this movie. And one more thing about uh, uh, Um, Jenny. I think that one of the things I like most about her character is that she's never like the victim. Like, even at the beginning, like, she is strong when she shows up. She knows who she is. She's not questioning. She's not scared as far as like being you know a woman in the world or something they don't go for that trope and i i really like that like she just comes out of the box just strong and so to see her yeah to see her just be able to to take that and run with it it's just so satisfying to watch yeah, her first appearance when she drives yeah. into the camp. She makes a good entrance, first of all, showing up last. <laughs> Fashionably late, um, of course. And then, yes. <laughs> uh, and then on this watch, I kind of thought that that scene where Paul tries to kind of um, browbeat her about being late, mm-hmm. and then she's able to kind of, like, turn the conversation back on him, and she's just like, I don't care if you're mad. Like, I'm here. <laughs> Who gives a shit? But that, I think establishes perfectly, like, her... Um, her trick with Jason later, where she's able to kind of talk her way out of, you know, bad situations and turn things around back in her favor. I mean, it does, I think that is a good setup, you know, to show that she's yeah, not going to just like take things as they are. She's way too good for Paul from the are. very beginning, and it shows. Yeah, I think that's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, here. He, she, he is definitely, yeah, she, she is definitely out of his class, but like, yeah. I still do like them as a couple in general. I think it's kind of interesting to have like a couple as your kind of yeah. leads of a slash. Yeah, because he does, you don't he does make it often. to the very end. So, uh, well, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe, right? maybe. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we get to see. On a long enough timeline. Sooner or later, Jason will, <laughs> everyone's yeah, t- sooner t- like Jason will grab us from lakes or windows. Great drops to zero or whatever Ed Norton says. 
Um, I also I think that it's interesting though that she she is like you said scared through this whole thing. She is very strong. She is very self sufficient. But you know whether you think that it's the rat that peed or whether you think that it's her that peed when she's hiding under the bed. To me, I'm like genuinely kind of surprised that more horror movies don't pull that because that is so real. Like. She's been being chased around for so long. And she's drunk so much point. beer. And to really feel. <laughs> and she's drunk so much beer. And she's really <laughs> feeling cornered and trapped. And I'm like, I would have yeah. peed 10 times That's already. <laughs> Warrington Gillette played Jason Unmasked at the very, very end. But for the majority of the movie, Jason is played by Steve Dashkowitz, a.k.a. Steve Dash. I think that he does a great job. Um, he. Uh, you know, people argue about who the best Jason is. Like we already talked about, not only the look of him, but I think that Steve is putting in a pretty uh, empathetic performance as Jason. When you get the close-ups on his eye and everything through the mask, I think that there is, you know, some fa- as much facial emotion as you could possibly get from that shot. I think that he is putting in the work. Um, so Steve doing his damn thing. Both Steves, Steve. The scene when she has the chainsaw and he's like uh, backing oh, yeah. away, it's very yes. human. It's so doesn't feel like the Jason that we know of from later. later yeah, he Jason feels like the frog boy like, again. He's that, like a child. Or when he falls, like the thing he's standing on, I think it's a chair, like shatters and he falls down and he like kind of looks around like, I broke my pitchfork. <laughs> uh, that's so just, cool. I, I, he's much more interesting this way, in my yeah. opinion. What's he What's he doing on that chair? Yeah. I, I understand that she's under the bed and he wants to hide his loud. feet, but like, what's going on? Why is he on the chair like he's hiding he from a mouse? He wants to do a shovel knight. He wants to jump and pierce. <laughs> Look, people say that Freddy is the one who's the showman, but I think that Jason has always had a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you see it in this one a few times. When his first appearance, you first see him on camera as him pulling a trick on... uh, Is it it Vicky that finds him in the bed? Yeah. Um, But you're expecting to see the corpses, right? The people who were just speared there. But instead, he decided to hide under the covers and pop out at her. Yeah. He could have been waiting behind the door. He could have done so many other things. <laughs> oh, man. But it, it's such a great shock, and that's, again, minor kind of playing with your expectations, yeah. right? Where we've already established there's these bodies in the bed, and you think it was, she's going to pull back and find, but instead, nope, there's your fir- very first look at Jason. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, I just want to bring, as Dustin said, that moment when he's falling away from the chainsaw might be one of my favorite Jason moments of all Jason moments because it's one of the most expressive, emotive, and real moments that he ever uh, shows. It's, 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 it's a pretty incredible job of acting, given the fact that he's wearing a burlap sack <laughs> on his head, but it feels like you can see the terror on his face. Oh, the, yeah. the contours that part of the partic- really shape in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> that part in particular reminds me of uh, like a Leatherface scene or something where he's kind of clumsy mm-hmm. and uh, it's very human feeling. Yeah, there's a moment in Texas Chainsaw Massacre where I think it's like after the third person has broken in and been dispatched, and he just looks around like, where are all these people like, coming from? <laughs> feels like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something. It's, it's like a Ronnie Danger moment. And being like, oh my god, yeah. People are in my house, I don't know how they're getting here. 
um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that is a really, really great moment, and it does something that doesn't get explored a ton going down the road for this for this franchise. Yeah, this one does the most to me. I mean, we've said a lot about, about Jason just feeling human all around, and I think that's partly due to um, Ginny's speech. We've already mentioned her, like, psychology speech. But that is... Uh, that might be the most any slasher movie has tried to actually humanize their slasher. Yeah. Um, and actually, Don't like, you mean, well, really I think you're examine... forgetting Halloween H2O, where we see Junie from a spy <laughs> Oh, he's kids. pure evil? Uh, oh. Or not, actually, <laughs> from Rob Zombie's Halloween, where, uh, where Junie from the spy kids picks on him for 30 minutes. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, the most successfully that any of these have tried to humanize or like, empathize oh, oh, with I their see. slashers. <laughs> Because um, even like Psycho tries to do that at the very end, right? They come in with Norman Bates and they say he's crazy because right. of this. So this is what's going on, where it's just full on explained to you after the fact. But this is like a character actually having like a perspective on him and Ginny actually thinking about him as a human yeah. being. Um, and I think that's so unique for like a character and a slash movie to do. Yeah. And it's brief. It's not. Like, it's like they. It's not like a whole like soliloquy about it. But it's just like a little bit of like thought about, hey, how is he feeling about this? It goes a yeah, long way. And I think that it's particularly interesting because horror as a genre is extremely empathetic. It more than maybe any other genre, it really asks you to identify with the characters, whether that's the victims and it wants you to experience their terror, or whether it's trying to do something with the killer and it wants you to sort of understand their point of view. And Jenny trying to look at things from Jason's point of view, I think is a moment of empathy in this movie that is really sort of reflective of what's so interesting and great about horror at large. And I think that it is really representative of something uh, great. And it's essentially the only reason she survives. Yeah. It's because she uses her so- yeah. child psychology to recognize his mommy <laughs> issues and use them against him. That's right. Yeah, you kind of have a moment in this. Um, I've, I've heard, like a, you know, there's that, that really great scene where he attacks the girl with the knife. You have the out-of-focus knife shot where you see his bruised thumb. The upside-down knife? And just... Yes. Yes, there are three he, different yeah, he, times. he cuts somebody's throat yes. backward. Yeah, it's very true. And into um, the head, machete is backwards. <laughs> Jason does not know how to use Look, a blade. He likes, <laughs> he likes uh, doing things a little different, you know? That's what makes him stand out. That's right. But that scene where he's coming at it with a knife and you kind of have the thought, or I, I do when I've heard people say this, but why doesn't she run away? She just kind of stands there and lets herself get killed. But I think it's because she's not seeing him as something escapable, yeah. right? She's just seeing him as this like kind of monster coming for her and she doesn't know how to react. But with the Ginny, knowing it's a person under the mask, she understands he's a thinking creature yeah. too, right? And you can't be tricked. So, yeah, you're totally right. I think it does, go, it does help her survive. Oh. I love that moment when she shuts down, though, because that's like in my dreams when I'm trying to run and I'm yeah. just in molasses and right. I can't move and I can't throw a punch and nothing's working. And I, I like that, that that girl, that woman experiences that on screen where her system just shuts yeah, down. It's very easy to be like, oh, I would, of course, get away. <laughs> like, I'm so <laughs> smart and fast and strong. You, yeah. uh, there's no way. There's, first so, of all. Yeah. Color me thinking that it's unlikely. But also... Well, Ginny does the same thing, which I really appreciate. She stays yeah. and watches Jason fight Paul because she's like, what is going on? I don't yeah. know what to do here. Should I help right. Paul? Should I stay? Like, you, you would have no idea what to do in that situation. You'd be exactly. frozen. Yeah, you have the thoughts of, like, am I going to get in the way if I try to intercede mm-hmm. yeah. somehow? Am I going to end up hurting Paul instead? Yeah. 
So it seems like um, a throwaway, but the the kid at the beginning is singing "Itsy Bitsy Spider," uh, splashing through the puddles, and I think that Jason really is stalking and trapping and hunting and and creeping around this place like a spider, and that kind of reverberates through the whole movie for me. Uh, yeah. So so even that with Vicky and the knife is almost like yeah, you're in the web. There's no way out. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> no. I, t- I agree. Um, and I don't think Minor don't throws anything away. I think, I think this movie's no. full of just, you, you'll be back here. You're, you're going to come back to this puddle here. <laughs> so every, every, everything's yeah. just a visual feast of, like, uh, <laughs> just kind of spatial uh, awareness. Like, we're, we're, we're coming back to all of this stuff later. So Yeah, definitely. Um, filming took place mostly in Northwest Connecticut during October of 1980, and they did try to get Savini back, but he, one, was already committed to working on Midnight, and two, didn't really love the idea of adult Jason being the killer. Um, we almost got Stan Winston, which, imagine what yeah. that would have been like. But, <laughs> wow. uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, Carl Fullerton did a perfectly wonderful job with what he got. Um, you know, Stan Winston, a legend, but Carl Fullerton has worked on plenty of great horror movies on his own as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some injuries on set, unfortunately, including Adrian King, who gets uh, killed with a prop that didn't retract right. Uh, Warrington Gillette smacked his head on some glass that didn't break <laughs> when he tried to come through the window. Um, and Steve Dash got rug burn on his face from having a burlap sack taped to it for hours at a time. Um, he also, which, yeah, that sounds terrible. Uh, he also broke his ribs falling on the, the pickaxe and needed 13 stitches in his finger from a mistimed mach- uh, machete chop. So. Oh man, stuntmen! Oh. Look, I'm saying we need a stuntmen category at the Oscars. They put their bodies on the line. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of see that through Why the whole movie. Bl- I was like, we're still talking about Jenny, but her humanizing. <laughs> when she jumps out of the window, she kind of like falls and slips and almost seems to almost hurt herself in real life, which is yeah frightening. But it is very scary. Yeah, it's authentic. Yeah, you know that that feeling of you could maybe actually get hurt. <laughs> Yeah. But at the end of filming, they, of course, went up against the MPAA, who demanded these absurd cuts to get an R rating, as they did with basically every installment of this franchise. Uh, the one in this that really got hit was the Spear Kill, that pays homage to the movie's roots in Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, a very fun movie in its own right that I recommend to people as well, if you haven't checked that out. Um, it's very clear to see the through line from Bay of Blood to Friday the 13th. So if you like Friday the 13th, I think you'll really dig Bay of Blood. George says, check it out. <laughs> the, the machete face kill is kind of from I that I love that kill, the spear kill. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, I, have we all, uh, do we all own the new Shout Factory release of the Friday the 13th series? Yeah. Um, they have like a, a reel of the cut kills from part right. two that I just watched for the first time last night preparing for this. And it's great stuff. And it really is tragic that they were forced to cut those out because um, I I do love this movie. I think the kills do look great in this movie. But 
if, if we had the kind of complete versions, I think it would be even more of a you know clear favorite of the franchise for a lot of people. Yeah, because um, it's it's some fantastic work. And there are some kills that I think are dramatically improved by the cut material. I think that um, what's his name, Tom? I think the guy who's hanging up by his feet and he gets the, the oh uh, Mark. Mark, I believe it's yeah, Mark. He, and first of all, very first machete kill with Jason's signature machete. Mm-hmm. Um, backwards, as backwards. we said earlier. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the the cut material is much more bloody and intense, and and I think that that is for me is the most improved by the cut material, and um, you know it's, it's it, it kind of feels a little lackluster in the uh, original, and it's the kind of thing that you see going down the line where a, a lot of times you're like I feel like there's more here that did get cut. Um, yeah, thankfully the editing job is pretty good to hide the extra yeah. footage here. Um, but something like My Bloody Valentine, that mm-hmm. one got absolutely like massacred for its theatrical release, and you can feel it. You can feel it in the editing that the pacing just yeah. isn't right. But they did a good job yeah. here, um, where things still feel. I would say tight. the spear kill even uh, cut is still yeah. horrifying and a very yeah. upsetting. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the setups are good enough that you don't you know you don't notice you're missing just a mm-hmm. bit of the payoff. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Tom Savini too, I recently watched uh, The Prowler for the first time, yes. which he did the special oh, yeah. effects nice. on, yes. which is a very fun slasher that's got some amazing Tom Savini kills, like some of the best he's ever done. The shower kill. The shower kill is so good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the eyes rolling back, the pool—it's all—it's all wonderful work. But I mean, I was trying to think of when I was watching this last night, like, why do I still enjoy this movie more? And I think that the Friday series, just as, as you know, in general, has such personality mm-hmm. to it too. Where the Prowler is a good movie, it's a great slasher, it's got great kills, but you, you're missing that kind of human charm and element we've been talking about. I have to really quickly bring up the the hanging kill, the guy on the rope. I forget the character's name. Scott. Is Mark? I don't remember, but Scott. Oh, thank Scott. you. Scott. You yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, so I mentioned earlier at the beginning that so the first time I ever saw Friday the 13th, I was up late... Uh, Watching some channels I probably should not have been watching, you know, when you do. You know what I was looking for. And I thought I thought to myself, oh, some good-looking teens. Uh, they look like they're, oh, she's naked. Oh, great. Okay, cool. She's run. All right. Oh, he could suck in this trap. Oh, he's hanging upside down. This could get real hot. They could do some crazy stuff with this. This is going to be great. And uh, then he is horribly murdered, and I've had crazy feelings. Yeah, so, that'll, uh, that'll. I was trying to find something. <laughs> yeah, you, you get it. You get mm-hmm. it. It was a strange <laughs> night, but I will never forget it. That'll mess you up, Dustin. How many hours? <laughs> I, I know you're happily married now, but I mean that that's got to be at least ten hours. <laughs> I, I know you're married, <laughs> but that's got to be at least ten to twenty hours of therapy to get over that one, right? Certainly it, makes it me question a, the moderator geez, of the man. Discord. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do love this movie. That in a way that a lot of slashers don't, it's presenting really seemingly like happy couples. Where like before that spear murder happens, mm-hmm. it's like that. Beaut- it's not the sex moment they're showing. It's like that nice <clears throat> post-coital moment where they're both just like petting each other, and it's like the most serene little moment or similar vibe with um, I can't remember any names the the woman who's hitting on the guy in the wheelchair and those Vicky two, and Mark like every 
everyone's so nice in yeah. this movie, and I think that's yeah. one reason I'm drawn well, to it. The one guy like, who is being a creep is called out as a creep, like by you know in the movie, yeah, he comes right. as creepy. But they weird, also humanize him because he gets yeah. uh, he gets yes. rejected by the girl, so he dances with Muffin the dog, and it's very cute and <laughs> yeah, and it's actually kind of <laughs> charming. Yeah. I think that's that's key is that everyone in this movie likes each other. Like even even the goofball Ted, who as we see in the, the next movie, the goofball is like, why did they even hang out with someone like Shelley? No one actually <laughs> likes Shelley. No one wants him around. But here, totally. the goofball is liked by everybody too, and he's just you know a part of the group, and they all feel like real yeah, friends. You... I'll, I'll wager Ted is the greatest goofball character of I, any horror movie. There you go. And he lives. It, it yeah, blows me he, away every time that he survives. Yeah. There you go. We yeah, got the best, the best final girl just... and the best final goof. <laughs> <laughs> and and final who goof. who would have thought the secret is to going to a bar and just drinking more beer than is humanly possible? <laughs> going yeah. to an after hours. <laughs> bar goes, after he's got go like a twelve pack. <laughs> yeah. He goes, were there any after-hours clubs? And the guy's like, yep. And that's, <laughs> that's all he wants. Hey, thanks. Out, he has a nice flirty moment with that bartender, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he comes away on top here. We, yeah. we all thought that, you know, Jason punishes sex and drinking and, and smoking and everything. But it turns out that it's kind of just a bell curve. And it, if you drink <laughs> enough, he'll leave you alone. You just have to drink well. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately... There was no Friday the 13th in May or June of 1981, and they wanted to strike while the iron was hot and get the summer release date to titillate all the high schoolers off from school, so it came out May 1st, 1981. It uh, wasn't quite as successful at the box office as Friday 1, but it still made $21.7 million on a $1.25 million budget, so not too shabby. <laughs> and that's while it was up against incredibly stiff competition that year from The Howling, Evil Dead, The Burning, My Bloody Valentine... Halloween 2, several other enduring horror films from 1981. A lot of people postulate that 1981, possibly the best year in horror. I certainly think that there is an argument for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I got mentioned, too, The Prowler was that same year, um, which was directed by Joseph Zito, who went on to direct Friday 4. So they went back to that well of, like, all those successful slashes in that time. And, you know, they kind of knew who their competition was and all that. Of course, we have to check in with Best Little Horror House Villain. Roger Ebert, he gave this movie the coveted half a star rating. Oh, snap. Uh, In his review, which I read, he waxed nostalgic about movies where teenagers customized their cars and listened to rock and roll instead of getting hacked to death. Cool, Grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) as hell. I would hack those kids to death. Who's laughing? There's (laughs) graffiti. Love. I was I we looked up of course he gave American Graffiti four stars. <laughs> said, well, you we should put your money where your mouth is, Ebert. <laughs> He's consistent. Yeah. Um but, you know, despite what Roger Ebert thinks about horror movies, uh this was a success not only monetarily but also in the form of uh you know, being a transition to Jason as the killer and creating a true staple of horror this is one of the big ones you know and i think that that doesn't happen without the success of friday too right um great we're gonna take a quick break but we'll be right back to the show hey everybody george here and i wanted to tell you about the membership drive we're doing for the best little horror house in philly patreon 
Uh, you hear me talk about it at the end of every episode during the plug section, but basically the Patreon is where you can support the show for just a few dollars a month while getting all kinds of great perks, including bonus episodes like Spotlights on Begotten and Solaris, hot movie court action with Legal Thriller, uh, we're doing a watch-along of X-Files and having a community discussion, video episodes, and an ad-free feed to avoid having to hear stuff like this very ad. Plus, this March, if you sign up at the $8 tier, not only are you going to get all the tier rewards we offer, we're even going to send you the best little horror pin in Philadelphia. If you follow us on social, you recognize the design. And I'm not going to tell you that it's a blend of Chucky and Gritty done by the excellent local artist Zach Woomer, but I will tell you that this orange Philadelphia monster will be your friend till the end. Okay, sign up today at patreon.com forward slash PHL, and thanks to everyone who's already a supporter. Back to the show. So, to get into the actual movie, we made it. <laughs> this opens up two months after Friday the 13th, the movie, uh, with Alice from the first movie on the phone with her mom. We get a nice dream recap, uh, indicating that Alice is the only survivor of the Pamela Voorhees attack on Camp Crystal Lake from the previous installment, and she's trying to recover and move on with her life. And First of all, you know, I like that we get this final fight again, that we get to see it. It's a good fight. Um, totally. It's a friggin' slobber knocker. Like, they're biting and rolling in the dirt and slamming heads. And really, that primal feeling that, that one of you mentioned, I think, really does come across. Uh, like, the threads of it are there from that final fight, where it does feel like they're really scrapping for their lives. I love the look on Pamela Voorhees' face when Alice charges her with a machete <laughs> and she looks surprised like what are you going to what are you doing <laughs> no killsies you can't believe what's going to yeah right like this was a slapper's only or something that flashback is also a really nice highlight of the best Betsy Palmer moments from the first movie yeah yeah you kind of get you get the best of everything from the first yeah. movie yeah is it the only time that the flashback at the beginning of one of the Friday the 13th movies is actually motivated in world by her memories or by her dream. Wow. Good question. Her, her perfectly edited and, <laughs> right. like, you know, yeah. Produced dream. Yeah. Cause all the other times it's just like, here's, here's the last 10 minutes of the last movie. <laughs> right. Or one of them, I, I think I don't remember which one opens with crazy Ralph narrating oh, yeah. <laughs> over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's four. Yeah. yeah. yeah four opens so. on the end of three, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think I, that four takes place like right after three. Yeah, I think Ralph has to be on three, even though he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious who put poor Alice to bed because they laid her diagonally <laughs> across the top of the blankets with one pillow uh, on the other corner away from her. Stress makes you do crazy things, Sean. It was an intense dream, man. <laughs> yeah. I also it put her in this well, weird plaid her. jumpsuit. <laughs> Maybe Jason put her to bed when he was putting his mom's head in her fridge. Wow. I, I, I think that's a dream <laughs> while she was still standing. <laughs> she just fell over. Directly Fainted. <laughs> I'm interested in what you guys think of Alice's art. What does that mean? Does it mean anything? Um, well, rip to a real one, that's for sure. Lots what of faces. To be like, oh, I made it. I've survived the killer. And then he's like, no, I actually am following you. You're fucked. Um, I, I like that. I like that, you know, as far as we know, it still feels possible for Jason to do that, um, you know, and I think that it's, like, really exciting that he's, like, no loose ends from the first one that you thought she got away, and Jason is like, nah, that's not the game we play here at Camp Crystal Lake. 
<laughs> that that opening feels very Halloween to me, and it, part of the reason I love it. I mean, it, it just looks great when he's stepping over that puddle, and it reminds me of when he, uh, Michael bumps into that kid at the beginning of <laughs> Halloween, and it is like super intense. It just very jarring. Yeah, I, I also like how anyone, closely the camera follows Alice as she walks around. And, you know, it's like it's bobbing around and stuff. I think it really does feel mm-hmm. like someone's stalking her. We talk about that POV. Um, I think it's used very effectively here in this opening. Yeah, the whole movie is kind of voyeuristic. Um, but there's that one moment where it kind of pointedly, like, follows her right up to her bedroom as she's getting undressed and then stops and doesn't let you go in. Like, it's just kind of towing the line of being, you know, too pervy, I suppose. <laughs> Jason is still a chaste little Does, frog boy. Yes. <laughs> Does anyone else get unreasonably stressed when that kid is hopping in that puddle <laughs> yes. and just soaking his Dude. shoes completely? Yes. <laughs> and I was so... That was, like, the most anxiety I felt this entire movie was watching that kid stomp around. Because at least Jason's in boots, but that kid... They're sneakers. Yeah, exactly. Jason might have been in that scene, but he's the real monster. <laughs> it did make me think of uh, Georgie from It. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is like oh, yeah. had a weird little it vibe to it. Fun fact. Ask, fun fact, he <laughs> was it. murdered in the sewers <laughs> seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> On the way out, Jason got him. He was like, one for the road. This is not important, but I was going to ask, can anyone explain the trays on the radiators? <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> hmm. No, I didn't notice. notice it's like it. she's got some, Des- there's some plants Jason. or something growing in them, it looks like. I couldn't tell what it was, but it was just a really strange. I was like, "What is she wow. doing here?" So, I what? Just didn't know if anyone Keep an eye out actually. For it. I think my parents used to put uh, um, trays of water in front of our in front of the heat vents, as, and before we had like a humidifier. Mm, interesting. So maybe that's what she was doing. Getting a little. Maybe she's, maybe that's what she's doing. She's like, I just got out of Jason. I don't. The last thing I want is a bloody nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else find her house slash apartment, whatever it is, oddly? It's very eerie. Like it's I don't like know exactly what it house. is about it. Yeah, um, it feels very empty. She's very alone, which talking with her parents just reemphasizes. I'm very surprised that you, if that is an improvised scene, she's a very good improviser because you can <laughs> almost always tell mm-hmm. in movies. Like, even an alien, you can tell when they talk over each other, but they weren't really supposed to, but they're trying to make it up. Yeah, but like, when they're just like, all right, say something. <laughs> yeah. She is a Bob uh, Newhart-level phone improviser. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like how annoyed she was when she picks the phone rings. She goes and picks it up. She's like, hello? She goes, oh, hi, Mom. <laughs> like, Whoa. Like, what's going on there? Checking in on me again after my murder escape. (laughs) Leave me alone, (laughs) Mom. I just Only two months. Yeah, yeah. Never mind the trauma of me committing murder, uh, self-defense murder. Who would she have accepted? Like, who who could it have been where she'd be like, oh, hey. (laughs) Well, you almost feel like it wouldn't be anybody but Mom, so who else was calling? (laughs) Exactly. Bob Dole. She thought it was the cat. She thought it was the cat calling to be like, I'm on my way home. I'll be there shortly. <laughs> Leave the window open for me. Um, but when she finally opens her fridge, there's old Pammy, or at least her head. Someone slams an ice pick into Alice's temple. Wowie. Cut to title. Jam out to the great man for Dini score. Um, 
fun fact that I saw, this film has one of the longest pre-cre- uh, pre-credit sequences in cinematic history. Almost 15 minutes. Uh, I noticed it. Wow. I felt it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that the Friday the 13th remake carried that torch further. <laughs> yes. Sure. I think that one that oh, was yeah. about 20 yeah. minutes, yeah. Yeah. right? I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it's long enough where you think that they're going to be the characters of the movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which makes the the rug pull pretty effective, in my opinion. I, yeah. I, I know yeah. I know that there are haters of all of those remakes, but as far as I'm concerned, that Friday one is uh, pretty good, especially compared yep. <laughs> to the other ones that we got. Any pretty, others? Pretty much <laughs> by and large, or all movies of that era. Sure, even that. Yeah, <laughs> big uh, big rip on Kevin Williamson from Pant Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we we get this great opening sequence. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Alice is dead. <laughs> R.I.P. But um, it's now five years later. And we get these two youngsters, Jeff and Sandra, who roll into town and they stop to use this payphone. And Crazy Ralph, played to great effect by Walt Gorney, sidles up to them while they're on the phone. He warns them that they're all doomed. We all love Crazy Ralph. You gotta have him. I thought it was a bit subdued. What, what's this he time. doing? <laughs> well, he was just working what's his way crazy? up. You know, this was only the first warning. <laughs> what's What's he doing in the off season? <laughs> he runs a. He, Is he runs just a bed like and chilling at home. He runs a bed and <laughs> <laughs> warning people of impending death curses. Maybe he does local commercials. <laughs> You're all welcome to come down to Smith's Hardware. If you don't act now, these prices are doomed. <laughs> um, and also, while they're on the phone, fo- so they get warned, they're on the phone, and uh, their car gets towed. Although this turns out to be just a prank set up by their pal Ted. Like we said, we're all a big fan of Ted as well, played by Stu Charno. Good for you, Stu. You kill it in this movie, man. You do a great job. <laughs> It's a classic prank that's happened to us all. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I just met this guy who owns the garage, and uh, he's like, sure, I'll play this prank on your friends for you. It was a real prank on me as a viewer, a critical viewer, too, because I was like, uh-oh, movie. They certainly towed this car very quickly. It was a joke. It was all a joke. <laughs> it's fun, too, though, while you see it happening in the back. <laughs> You're just, like, waiting for them to notice. Yeah. Oh, it's It takes great. a long time. Well, I... I was impressed that, that you know, I, I guess tow truck drivers are fast, but that was a single cut. He was in and out in 10 seconds, you know, like there was no camera trickery there. That was a legitimate tow. Um, it turns out that they're all going to camp counselor training. And as they make their way there, they find a Camp Crystal Lake sign torn down. Ted calls it Camp Blood. He's all spooked out. And he reveals that it's on the same lake that they'll be at. So they're all creeped out, and they hurry away. And we see that someone was watching them from the woods. <laughs> kind of interesting. This is not actually taking place at Camp Crystal Lake, right? We've already moved outside of that to another yeah. new place. I think it's called Pack-a-Neck, I think is what the, the sign says. Pack-a-Neck Lodge, right? yes. Um, yeah. And when they do finally arrive there, we meet the others, including Paul, who runs thing. Uh, Mark, whose last name I just realized this watch through is Jarvis, and wonder if he's related to the later Jarvises. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and that? it's just his name in the credits. He's credited as Mark Jarvis. 
Hmm. And uh, <laughs> arriving fashionably late, like we said, is Paul's assistant and girlfriend, Ginny Field, um, who, like I said, is notably majoring in child psychology. They make a very distinct point to mention that. Paul gives them all a very uh, ironic speech about safety and how axes and knives and lanterns and saw can all be dangerous if not handled correctly. And to watch out for their friends in the forest, bears. Very uh, sort of dramatic irony <laughs> that uh, I find <laughs> very fun. Yeah, it's really interesting, too. I only noticed this watch that a lot of the stuff he does bring up, they do... Uh, like subvert, like we'll later. Jenny is on her period. Later, Vicky puts on perfume, which she tells them not to do around bears. Yeah, it's very strange. Okay, when Vicky puts on perfume, I have a lot of issues with that. Okay, <laughs> I, I a little subtle hint of perfume is nice, but she goes four sprays, like one on the wrist, three around the neck. <laughs> And then one for good measure on the crotch. Vicky, it, the, the subtlety, it less is more sometimes. I'm sorry. That just ridiculous. That was the, I watched this with my wife and she was screaming. She was like, you do not do that. That's crazy. That was the Axe Cloud walkthrough of the time. <laughs> um, and that night, classic campfire gathering. Paul tells them the legend of Jason... Uh, the same story that we heard from in, or the same story that we heard in the first movie, but now he affixes the story of Pamela to it as well, which I really like the way that it sort of grows the legend in world as these movies sort of escalate things. I think that that's a, a really cool little touch that it they're they're all like, yes, the we all know about Jason the Frog Boy, but now ooh, his mother Pamela who went crazy and attacked as well. I, I just think it's a nice little touch. I mean, it's so good. It is a little strange. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Say, it's so yeah. good that they use it in the next two movies to open. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it is kind of strange that it's still the legend of Jason. You think it would be now the legend of Pamela, though? Because <laughs> seeing as no one even knows really that Jason's alive, there's just rumors. Well, that's not what the movie's doing, right? This is the brand recalibration. They're jumping right into it. Here's yeah, the canon go. now. Jason is here. He's the killer. <laughs> he saw his mom. He's mad, and he's coming for us. There you go. It's just funny yeah, that the, the recent serial yeah. murders by Pamela feel like a footnote. <laughs> it's just such a great way to set up all that exposition and also to stay in story because it's kind of Paul putting all of this to bed and saying, yeah, Crystal Lake's off limits. We got our Jason yayas out. I don't really want to hear about it. And so it kind of sets up, you know. <laughs> It, it's doing three or four things at once, and I think that's really great. And then at the end of that scene, they're, they're setting up the spear yeah, for yeah, later, totally. too, because Ted jumps out holding the spear, and then you see him pointedly put it <laughs> against the wall and everything. You also see his abs. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this isn't specific necessarily to this movie, but I, I think the campfire story or just kind of the urban legend uh, myth that um, I, I think that's that's what makes like a great slasher movie like you get it in my bloody valentine um uh the prowler like we've said um candy man yeah Mm, yeah uh there's a madman that's another one that's kind of similar to the jason story but uh i think it it just adds another level to it other than just a just a guy going out for people yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, they even do it in Sleepaway Camp, too. Like, I've seen it almost never fail. 
there you go. Well, I, I, this movie had some similarities, I feel like, with Maniac, which was what Tom Savini, I think, might have done instead of this, because that came out in Midnight, 80, I think. I think. He, uh, he did instead. Uh, but. Oh, okay. But, um... Yeah, there's there's just of that time all of a sudden everybody just got really into the POV <laughs> shots, you know, and hey, steal good, good artists create great artists steal. Well, what's crazy is they're all filming concurrently, so it's all being shot in the fall of '80, and then it was the whole slate for '81. Yeah. So Prowler, My Bloody Valentine, yeah, Friday Two, those are three that are very similar. You've got the Pitchfork, you've got you know Campfire, you've got all of these similar tropes that Friday 2 kind of stands above everything else is like, oh, we're tropey, but we're like solidifying this into this beautiful mold that now you will all copy this and you guys will start, <laughs> unless you're, you know, gorehounds, you, you don't really know the, the deeper cuts like the Prowler. You're, but you know, Jason, you know, Friday. Sure do. Sure do. What, uh, to go along with the, uh, tropes, uh, just, everything kind of happening at once um i mean if you've seen the movie blowout like the first five minutes or whatever is a parody of all of these movies and it came out the same year uh 1981 i mean it's crazy to think about now i mean obviously i was born much later than that but pretty weird to think about like the kind of the comedic take on it is happening the same time that people are still trying to make money sure. on hey, the scary yeah movie they're still doing the it in earnest in these yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. scary movie 2 came out literally like 2003 when the ring had just started kicking off that sort of wave of horror uh, in 2002 and uh it really was leaning leaning hard on a lot of those things i mean signs and and all of those sort of paranormal focused um drama uh, steeped horror movies that um really started coming out around that time with the sixth sense in 1999 and uh, the ring starting the japanese influence as well um anyway i digress <laughs> um like you said <laughs> it turns out that it's just ted who jumps out at them but he jumps out it's a man with a spear um but paul reassures everyone that jason is dead and that camp crystal lake is now condemned and off limits and this is the last he wants to hear of jason and uh, very, I'm the boss. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> but <laughs> Crazy Ralph wanders over to the group to warn them. It's got a death curse. But unfortunately, the death curse strikes him. And he's garroted from behind a tree. Um, this, is, this is an interesting kill to me. Because it's extremely deliberate to like get a wire like this as opposed to something that might just be lying around like an ice pick would be in the kitchen. Um, or la- oh, It's like a hunk of, of barbed wire that he uses. Mm-hmm. Right. Later oh, on, uh, Sandy yeah. and oh, Jeff I it was later like on. Piano. Oh, well, that, it's, okay, I'm less impressed now because he's got this <laughs> But still, the arrangement of it, did he wait for Crazy Ralph to like lean up against the tree and then kind of swing this wire around him? Yeah. Did he come over the top of the tree? to get 
around his neck like yeah. it doesn't make yeah. sense they specifically fixed that in five because it didn't make sense in two because in five <laughs> he ties a piece of wood to one end and throws it well he doesn't oh yeah Roy does we'll say and throws it around the tree and spoiler the alert and, and spoilers. No, spoilers. <laughs> come on hey, he's our patron saint <laughs> Have you guys seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Have I? I like to picture Jason just having one of those, like, covers with all the leaves on it, so he's just hiding underneath it, and then he pops up and Ralph's not looking. He was the tree the whole time. Yeah, the arms are coming yeah, the that's it, the tree, yeah. um, He's like that, that kid in Hunger Games that paints himself <laughs> as rock. That's, that is a reference for, like, 10% of the listeners. I'm here for it, Sean. Hey, Steven Soderbergh shot second unit on Hunger Games. There you go. So. Shout wow. out to yeah. old Sody boy. Got, got some quality somewhere. That Ralph moment, too, is another good time when we kind of get led astray by the POV. Because we see somebody is approaching. I think it's Ginny, right, who's inside changing. Yeah. Um, and then Paul kind of surprises her first. And then we have another surprise that it's Ralph and not Jason. And then Jason finally kills Ralph. It's like there's several layers of misdirect going on there before the actual like kill well, the happens. The shadow goes by, and I'm pretty sure it is Baghead Shadow that you can pretty much tell if you already know who it is. Right. But yeah, then when we actually see it, it is Ralph. Um, there is a fun like Kuleshov effect moment where Muffin walks up to Jason... And then hmm. we see some cooked dogs, hot, hot dogs, dog. that is. <laughs> um, you know, just just a nice little, like, someone went to film school that worked on this. Yeah, there's another really good one, good one of those later when that cuts from a scream to the guitar riff in the bar. Yeah. yeah. They're very good yeah. transitions in this movie. Yeah, I, I was curious if, if she had to match the guitarist note of Scream or if the guitar's note had to match <laughs> her scream, which was filmed first wow. there. That's interesting. Or if just it was something the editor noticed and decided to mm-hmm. lay, you know, to layer in as a transition. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, I just think overall this movie is super well edited and it's it's brisk mm-hmm. and it, it goes by Clips. in a flash like it's perfectly totally. paced. Yeah. And it was it was cut by um, Susan Cunningham, is that right? I believe so. I believe and, I saw that. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. and you know, I think that it that does kind of help keep Sean Cunningham involved because he, although he did sort of distance himself, he did come back to help with like casting and stuff. So, as much as he did uh, sort of remove himself from the equation on some level, I think that having his wife be the editor and still be involved in the production did sort of keep him linked to it in a way that does help to keep some of the voice of the first one and make it uh, at least have that through line. Um, they brought a lot of the crew back from the first one uh, because they sort of were, because the success was so immediate they were like, we need to quickly transition this into <laughs> making a sequel so everyone just come back. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do agree about the editing being really, really impressively done in this movie. Um, while everyone is off having fun at the lake, Jeff and Sandra sneak off to Camp Crystal Lake, um, stumbling across what they think is a dog carcass, but is too mangled to tell. Um, fortunately for them, though, Deputy Deputy Winslow was around and catches them before they get murdered, because we see the POV shot as they're wandering around, and, and you're like, oh, man, these kids are fucked. But no, they set up the nice little tease and then pull it away. No, you don't get this, this counselor murder yet. Um, and uh, and Winslow ch- chases them away from Camp Crystal Lake. As Winslow drives away, 
he sees a man wearing a burlap sack over his head running into the woods. And uh, he gives chase, eventually finding a shack and being murdered by a hammer. So truly, curiosity kills the cat in this situation. <laughs> that chase goes on for a long <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, really can't see this is... chasing it. He just keeps running. <laughs> yeah. This is maybe the one thing that could be trimmed down in this movie. Um, he's just your classically inept, like, slasher cop. There's just no attempt to make him seem like he might be a real character at all, or competent, or good at his job, or anything. The man has incredible stamina, though. I mean, he's jogging through creeks and hills and rivers, and not ever once does he look out of breath. That, that puddle he comes to just stops him, yeah. comes to a dead stop. It, that's got to be like top five moments of his police career was trying to jump that puddle. That's perfectly the perfectly placed puddle centered stone to jump across. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, he... he uh, the prelude he, to the shack is wonderful there, though. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, it really is. And I like the See, kill, Him too, seeing the shrine, like, but you falls not... over, and he's got like this yeah, hammer the hammer's brutal. out of his head. And he's just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, and the angle and like the way his teeth are sticking out and the way, oh, yeah. like, the, just the shot itself is yeah. pretty brutal. So, yeah, that's a good death. He yeah. dies pretty good. Speaking of brutal, <laughs> can we just jump back to the the dead dog corpse? Is pretty well done and it's very, like, upsetting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's funny, too, that, like, what a weird, like, misdirect. Yeah. <laughs> for this to be like, uh oh, Muffin is dead. And then, uh, spoiler alert for later in this conversation, when Muffin comes back, <laughs> you're just like, uh, <laughs> I guess that was just a random dog. <laughs> it's found. definitely but Muffin. It's a bone in his hair. Wait, Muffin, Muffin is yeah. dead, right? No, Muffin comes back. Is, oh. wait, That's I, the whole I, debate I read, about that. I, all right, well, we'll get to the end. Yeah, but I yeah we'll the get end to the dream. Paul is dead and Muffin right, is well, dead. We'll definitely discuss it because <laughs> the fact- I. Muffin, other Muffin stalks really? them at the end of the yes. movie like it's a killer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> body has Muffin's bow in its hair. Look, we see <laughs> we see that there are other houses and stuff all around Camp Crystal Lake. I think it's possible that oh, some of these ritzy white ladies who live on the waterfront would have another Shih Tzu with a bow in their hair. George, I love your optimism when it comes to dog safety. Are, are you suggesting Jason had a decoy dog? Is that what this is? I'm saying that this will get him out. Possibly of a dog was savaged by a wolf, and our lovely frog boy is taking the blame when none lies at his feet, webbed or otherwise. I don't want to go back too far, but I just want to point out that Jenny places a chainsaw in the same cabinet that pillows are stored. <laughs> yeah, it's just your general use cabinet. You don't have those things? Um, it's like that the, drawer in the kitchen that has just anything. Yeah, exactly. Her junk drawer. Yeah, it's a, the junk the cabinet. It has soy sauce, chainsaws, pillows, rubber bands. <laughs> The counselors are headed out for one final night on the town before things really get going. But as punishment for going to Camp Blood, Jeff and Sandra will have to stay behind, along with a few others, who, uh, including Terry, who's hopeful that Muffin the dog will reappear. Um, Terry goes for a late-night skinny dip, and we see that someone is watching her. Another fun misdirect, and we see that this is, in fact, Scott. Or is it? But Scott takes her clothes as a prank, uh, and as he flees, he walks right into the rope trap and you know this is this is the moment for Dustin (laughs) (laughs) 
Terry goes for a, or she leaves to get the knife to free him. Um, but but Jason already has a knife on hand, so unfortunately for Scott, uh, his throat gets cut. And like I said, I think that this is the most improved kill. When Terry gets back, she freaks out to find his corpse. And she turns and runs right into the path of Jason. This is very funny to me, the way that she's just like, all right, time to run away. No, literally right there. Um, just, just this is this is classic Jason, as far as I'm concerned. It's just like showing up behind people in the woods. And how many of these traps do you think he has set? I mean, in, in order to run into one of them, yeah. <laughs> that can't be the only one. He, he had to have hedged his bets a little bit, and he's got them hanging out other places, too. Well, I, I, I think Scott mentioned something about Paul and his survival shit. So it could just be Paul's trap that, yeah. you know, that Jason is taking advantage like of, right? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. At the bar, Ginny, this is when she starts questioning the legend of Jason and wonders what he'd really be like if he, if he had been through all this specifically pointing out that seeing his mother's death could have messed him up to the point of not knowing or caring about the distinction between life or death, right and wrong. Um, and Paul laughs it off because, you know, you're drunk and you start philosophizing. We've all been there when you got your drunk friend who thinks that they're the, they've got this great insight. In this case, however, Ginny happens to be correct. <laughs> she does. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of a wild thing for her to assume that he watched her die. Like, what? What yeah. led her to believe well, that? I think that Paul said it in the legend. Yeah. Oh, that he, that yeah. he saw it happen. Okay. Um, but back at the camp, everyone is kind of doing their thing. Uh, Jeff and Sandra have retired to their cabin. Uh, Vicky and Mark are smooching in the main area, and Vicky leaves to get some stuff together for them to spend the night, including her sexy brown <laughs> underwear, which she has to go get. <laughs> Um, and uh, while she's gone, Mark gets a machete slammed into his face and falls down a flight of stairs in his wheelchair. This poor guy just cannot catch a break. That's certainly that one of the most wild. brutal kills of the whole series. Yeah, yeah that was the moment. My, I remember my first watch of the movie when I was like, when I was younger. That was the moment that like really hooked me because um, it, it comes out of nowhere. It looks gnarly and then that extra coda him going down the stairs is yeah. so like cruel and funny um to a character you generally like he's do so like. nice the so it's just like an extra thing. gut Everyone punch so nice especially when you look at something like friday seven and you compare that <laughs> mm-hmm. to the cast of friday <laughs> two and it's just so different because as pan weaver has sort of alluded to the reframe of the franchise has really shifted to get behind Jason, and so by the time you're at seven, the characters that are disposable are just that. They're disposable. Um, and in this, because we're supposed supposed to be on the side of these can- uh, these counselors, they're built up, and they're nice, and they like each other, and because of that, we like them. I think that that's part of what's so successful about movies like Halloween as well, is that not only do I like um, Lori and her friends like I want to hang out with them I think that they look so fun when they're driving around in the car and stuff and that liking of the characters I think really can help bring your movie from a B to an A totally I think even like in this movie like you gotta have the creep character and I feel like even Scott like he's not totally hateable like Shelly is much more unlikable than Scott Mm -hmm. Scott feels a little more like he he doesn't know any better he's just like a dumb 
the high school or something. Right. And Terry is like, look, you had your fun. I'm telling you to stop. And he was like, all right, I'm going to stop. And that was right before he perished. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. he didn't learn much, yeah. but... It doesn't hurt that he's super He hot. did seem to... Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, unfortunately, for the car- the actress who played uh, Terry, who also had a crush on the actor who played Scott, um, he is gay in real life. And so her crush went unrequited, but <clears throat> perhaps you have a chance. So is Mark. <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. Look, hey. A lot of good-looking guys in this movie. They get, they're mm-hmm. fun, well-developed characters. I, I'm saying shoot your shot. Yeah. Jason takes Ted's spear from earlier, and he gets both Jeff and Sandra with it in one swift impalement. Now that's what I call efficiency, volume seven. <laughs> to say, Jeff, I was surprised Jeff wasn't having sex in that hat. <laughs> We saw him in the movie jogging in the middle of a hot day wearing a full woolen hat. And so I thought maybe he had thinning hair, but no. When he's in bed, he takes it off and he has a lion's mane underneath this thing. I gotta say, it did throw me where I was like, wait, who is she with? Because he wasn't wearing the hat because he didn't have it. I didn't recognize him really right away. He loves Tom Waits. Didn't Tom Waits have one of those hats? <laughs> yes. His day job is a. Chimney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy really seems like a young Travolta to me. Yeah. Yeah, he does look he like He does that. have that kind of vibe. Which is interesting because there is a young Travolta. Yeah, in Six Court, I think, is his nephew or something. Yeah. Whoa. Not me. Hmm? Not me. <laughs> Jimmy and Paul leave for camp. But Ted, like we said, he stays at the bar looking for an after hours joint. Um, it's sort of implied that there are other counselors who are still there as well when he's like let let the other person drive or whatever so there yeah, the whole be, truck stays yeah there may be more survivors who also went to uh went to the after hours bar with him and and so ted and company in fact make it out alive yeah there um, were six other counselors but, but he, that leave. i like the fact that yeah yeah i like the fact that ted is this scrawny dude i mean He's ripped. He's he's shredded like lettuce. Yeah. But he's the scrawny dude who's got about forty five beers in front of him on the bar that, that he's clearly downed. Yeah. He's How old are the, these people? Because they're drinking. That, true. Well, I don't think that the age, the drinking age was the same then. Was it not? I can't remember. No. That was just a question I had. Yeah. It should also be pointed out they're drinking at a New Jersey cowboy bar. <laughs> Trust me, those it looks those like a fun place to exist. hang out. There are a lot of people. Yeah, that's where the trustee meetup is going to be, I think. (laughs) (laughs) When did the drinking age change to 21? 1984. I see. Ted's attitude really annoys me when he asks the locals if there's... What does he ask them? If there's a a late night joint? After hours. And then they give him a a perfectly pleasant answer, and he turns his back on them and makes a big old To be fair, he just says yes. There's he could have offered up a little more information, like a name Mm -hmm. or something. (laughs) I I can certainly relate with that face he makes being. 15 beers in. <laughs> I can also relate when he's like waggling them on his eyes. <laughs> Jenny and Paul, or no, yeah, they leave for camp 
And so Ted is there. Vicky comes back looking for Mark and instead finds the business end of a knife. Um, this, Like we said, this scene is really great where she's like nervously looking around. She enters the room and Jason's laying on the bed to surprise her. Um, I really loved in the cut footage, they really linger on the corpse of Jeff all fucked up in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, really intense. Um, I like it a lot. I think that that's another uh, fun cut moment. Um, it, it's really good. I, I kind of mentioned it when I first talked about that scene, but the, the fact that he's got that bruised thumbnail, Ugh. it's just, it's really weird. Yeah. yeah, it grosses you out. I don't know why they decided to include that. Maybe it was one of the, the several <laughs> injuries that the stuntman got on set, and they just decided to roll with it. But it does add, like, a mountain man flavor to Jason. Like, he's, you know, he's bruised and beat up. That Bruce thumbnail makes me wince more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. um, also, I'm going well, to repeat, the knife is upside down. I don't know why. Yes. It mystifies me. It confuses me so much. I will never have another moment's rest. But it is what it is. Um, but that's such a, a, a long way that you travel with that knife across the room. Mm-hmm. And you see her kind of out of focus there. Um it it's really kind of cruel but it's great at the same time yeah yeah it's another instance too that feels like experimentation Mm -hmm. by by steve minor just like for some reason having the victim be completely out of focus as you're going how do you guys feel about vicky i feel like she's the only slightly underdeveloped character i never remember she's in this movie um i like her ferocious hitting on mark (laughs) i think it's yeah i only want your fingers yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why don't we play for a position like she's she's going for it i'm like oh I the one with the i mean you can kind of argue she gets killed for it but it is just good that the movie allows the, the female characters especially her to be so like sexually aggressive and yeah. forward you know that it's not just the guys chasing after the women hell yeah this is uh dionysius bacchanal that's happening <laughs> everyone is fucking each other <laughs> drinking <laughs> But Ginny and Paul make it back, and they find the place a mess. The others are missing. There's a pool of blood in Sandra's bed. That'll sober you up quick. Their reaction to a pool of blood in a bed is not reactive <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, I don't think that they realize, like, what's happened. If I, Look, if I came home and I saw a pool of blood there, I'd be like, uh, what the fuck is happening? But I don't know that my first thought would be, all of my friends have been brutally murderized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul thinks it's a prank. Yeah, we famously that have a prankster like a, around. Yeah. Gallon, yeah. a gallon of blood. <laughs> a gallon. Hey, it's a camp. They have that much ketchup. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, they search around nervously when Jason pops up and he ambushes Paul. Ginny flees to the bathroom, um, but I do crack up when she, like... She takes so long to let go of the door and like slowly move over to the window. And then Jason's like, surprise, I'm here. <laughs> he just jumps out of nowhere. Um, it's very funny, like sort of the way that those two counter, you know, the way that we do sort of have this spider chasing the prey who's trapped in the web feeling. You know, Jason is kind of omnipresent in a, in a really cool way. That no matter which where they try and run to, he he is sort of there already. Yeah, I think Paul, there's someone in this room is one of the most chilling lines <laughs> of any of the movies. Like, 
it's upsetting sort of yeah that that's right there with the the calls coming from inside the house mm. line you know yeah and it kind of has that that vibe to it when she yells it out like that yeah. definitely um she runs into the kitchen and she grabs a knife and they hit us again with this kind of interesting one-two punch where uh he pitchforks through the door which is scary and then when she opens up the pantry to hide out falls crazy ralph and you're like oh i didn't even have time to recover from the pitchfork nice call back to the first one too where he was hiding in there when alice tries to run away oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um she pops out the window she heads for her car perfect payoff for the sputtering engine trouble the whole time of course it doesn't start mm-hmm. <laughs> great look the, everything they set up they pay off they set up they pay off yep yep um and jason chases her out of there as well she does buy herself a little time with a kick to the nuts which i think is really funny <laughs> I, I really like that was in there. i really like the pause before the kick to the nuts <laughs> There's just like a five-second pause where everything stops, and it makes it feel a little bit less like a movie because there's just that moment where nothing's yeah. happening. And then Jason runs around and she kicks him. <laughs> um, eventually, the chase leads to Jason's shack, where she finds a shrine to Pam Voorhees, decorated with the fresh corpses of her friends, as well as the much more decayed Alice with the dang ice pick still sticking out of her head. That's a power move to really just yep. be like, I'm not even going to pull out the murder weapon. You're just going to sit here at this shrine. <laughs> um, but this is our first sort of look at the shack in, in, in its entirety. And I think that the shrine is a really sort of cool character thing. I think it adds a lot of flavor. Um, I, I, I like the way it looks. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Was Jason going out to town to pick up tea lights? <laughs> to put it on the shrine or he got him from Alice's house here's my thought I think that Jason the reason that crazy Ralph knew that there was this curse is because he was employed by Jason to bring him tea lights and Ooh. to keep people away from Crystal Lake and he pulled double duty and there you Interesting. go Interesting. I kind of like that I like Ralph was kind of his first line of defense and he kills Ralph because he's, he's up failed I guess now. right yeah <laughs> he said Ralph I let you have one warning man you didn't keep them away the first time <laughs> and he just Darth Vader him yeah and by and well yeah I guess uh, he didn't really do anything because he was a little boy in the first one eh, whatever look this is a off the cuff theory here I'll flesh it out more <laughs> but <laughs> Um, I really like when she arrives at the shack. When she comes in the door, you can see Jason running towards her through the window. Yes. Oh, I loved it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the scariest shot of the series, honestly. For sure. That's like a pinnacle for slasher movies in general. Mm. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's always like these movies love to play with what you, what, you know, what the audience can see versus what the characters can see. And so just knowing, like, oh, she's in danger, it's running towards her, and she doesn't know it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrifying. It reminded me of that amazing scene in Halloween 2018 when you, the woman's on the phone, and she, she's clearly being told, oh, uh, Myers is around, you need to lock the door. She, okay, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. And you see him walk up the yeah. side drive and then come in the back. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so good. So I'm glad that uh, that's still happening in Yeah, horror. yeah. Uh, I, I think that if there's one thing that 2018 did really well, it is pay sort of homage to the roots of where it where it came from and and i think that part of what appealed to so many people about it is how obvious it was that david gordon green was a fan of horror movies that uh, that 
Ginny decides to try and put her child psychology studies to work. She puts on Pamela's sweater and she tries to convince Jason that she's his mother. Um, this is so great. I, I mean, I love the way that Jason is kind of confused. He's just a simple little frog boy trying to do right by his mom. <laughs> Betsy Palmer was hired for one day to do this. <laughs> they threw her in front of a black background. <laughs> they had her say, mommy is proud of you. Cut, print it. Here's your check, Betsy Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> it, good for her for doing it. She honestly. didn't even remember doing it. She was like, "I would never be in another Friday after the first yeah. one." And we were like, "You were literally in the second." <laughs> <laughs> I needed another call, you Betsy. It seems like this is gonna work. And Surprisingly until Jason, effective. Yeah, until Jason sees his mother's head on the altar behind her, he says, "Hey, wait, you're not my mom." And he blocks the machete swing from Ginny, and he slashes open her leg with the pickaxe. With this effect in particular. I think is very effective in that mm. like the like open wound on the leg I'm like oh look away I don't want to look at that that's gross <laughs> I think it's much more realistic in a way than a lot of the other kills which part of the appeal to me of Friday the 13th especially when I was just getting into it is sort of how over the top and silly and like red paint looking the blood is sometimes and everything and then all of a sudden I feel like this one kill really does look pretty realistic they're not a kill even but just this one injury looks really good um in a way that does sort of bring things really like dramatically to a point where you're like oh this is like i'm really worried for this character that i've really grown to like over this movie i think this wound also works so well because it's like when you see a paper cut on film and you're able to empathize with a wound that's more simple and so when you just mm-hmm. see it drag across her leg and just open a gash, so many of us have caught our leg on a fence or something or a branch or something that, you know, cuts you open. And so it's it, it's easy to trigger your brain to just flash back to that yeah. moment as opposed to, like, I have no idea what it feels like <laughs> to have Jason throw me onto a corkscrew and have me slowly <laughs> twirl down to the bottom of it. And, like, I don't oh, know. Lucky Sean, who doesn't have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blessed, baby. <laughs> Too blessed to be stressed. Um, Paul finally reappears to defend Ginny, but he is quickly overwhelmed. He's still got to respect himself, throwing him. He really dives headlong into this fray. So, I I, so I just kind of I always loved his entrance of coming in and giving the big dramatic Ginny <laughs> before he does anything to. I just he, <laughs> good for you, Paul. Um, I, I like I end up liking the actor even if his <laughs> he's got some weird deliveries yeah. like that. Just as Jason is about to kill Paul with the pickaxe, Ginny grabs the machete and slams it down on Jason's shoulder. Really, this is another really good effect. Um, it looks really good, but it also seemingly kills him, and he slumps to the floor. And Paul and Ginny return to the cabin, but they hear someone outside, and they think that Jason has followed them again, and so they open the door, only to find Terry's dog, Muffin, which, again, you're sort of like, oh, is this the, like a random dog that got killed? Is this all a dream? What's the deal? One thing I noticed, now I am going to postulate, is this the only movie with both a cat and a dog fake out? <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the dog fake out's a little more rare, right? Yeah. I feel like so many slashers and horror movies in general I have that the cat, cat fake out. out folks. <laughs> yeah. But 
I love. I, I I forgot to. I love that moment where somebody clearly throws a cat puppet through a window. I loved that. And the moment when the dog comes in the room and the music changes to be ridiculous. It's so amazing. If it was just, if that was the ending, can you imagine if it was just that? Freeze frame on the dog. We all yeah, win. And then you get the like the the classic '80s movie uh, like pro, uh, epilogue, <laughs> like just text epilogue. It's like Paul and Jimmy adopted Muffin and lived happily ever after. There's a mid-credit scene where the muffin winks into the camera. Muffin went on to graduate top of her class. Ted grew up to be a great comedian. He married the bartender. Ted grew up to be care top. They're both Look, he had great prop work. Um, the property around the shack uh, seems like it would have a pet cemetery or something. Yeah. Honestly, hey, maybe that's what happened. Maybe it was uh, a freshly buried, <laughs> buried pet that got dug up. <laughs> Um, but they don't have any time to relax because in what is, for my money, the scariest moment, not just in this movie, but in the whole franchise, an unmasked Jason bursts through the window, grabbing Ginny from behind. It comes out of nowhere. You're basking in this triumphant music that accompanied Muffin. And, God, he just... It, it, what an incredible moment. What a, it, a jump scare that really feels so earned in a way that I really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's a little underrated compared to the the ending of Friday, you know, the first Friday, right? Like everyone talks about Jason coming out of the lake, and this one is almost just as effective too. Um, it's perfectly timed, and then Jason's look is really creepy, and unlike anything you see in the later, you know, the rest of the series, he looks far different yeah. after this. Um, but he's really got that kind of Quasimodo look here that I really like. That does yeah, feel very human, though. He's, he's 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 got a, yeah. a, a, a like a disfigurement, but he's not. It's not like so insane, like when he turns into Lumpy McGee, <laughs> and like he's just like he's got maybe a little a little disfigurement, but you know he still feels within the realm of possibility. To be sure. Well, to be fair, by the time Normally, he's Lumpy McGee, he'd been rotting for many years. <laughs> Normally, fair. with a shot like that. The, the dickhead in me wants to be like, oh, you gotta speed up the film rate so that way it doesn't get all clunky and slow. But in this case, I think that slow frame rate where they clearly just shot it at 24 and then just cut it in half or something, I think it adds a lot to the effect. It's just disorienting yeah. and weird, and you just get such a good look. And how often do you just get to look at a monster... In well, half speed, you get to see everything. Right. It's not. It's not only a long look at him. It's our first look at him. Yeah. Um, after getting little glimpses of like the like the the lone eye shot, like I was talking about before, you know. Well, I like uh, previously. All we got was she. They take his mask off, and he goes, "Jesus." <laughs> and so they, they've built this. They've built this moment like. Oh, we don't get to see the face. This movie screwed <laughs> us. Like they're, they, they didn't have an idea for it. And then here comes big old Jason in slow motion, and you get to see everything and well lit. You know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I did test jump scares, and that one still worked on me today. Knowing what would happen, seeing this yeah. many times, it's yeah. per- really good. There's two. There's this one have- and the the tall man from It Follows. <laughs> Those are the two jump scares that still get me. So good. I haven't watched the Hatchet series anytime recently, but that Victor Crowley design looks similar, like a complete ripoff yeah. of this Jason. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. One hundred percent. Stringy yeah. hair overalls. We see you. 
Victor. Kane Hodder. I'm not sure that's what they were going for. That's Kane Hodder, you know. <laughs> Kane's just like, yeah, no one will care. Yeah, I'll just keep doing it. No, who who cares what he's called? <laughs> um, Jenny wakes up being loaded into an ambulance, and she calls out for Paul, who is nowhere to be seen, leaving his fate ambiguous. Although I think, as the Beatles said, "Paul is dead, baby." Um, but <laughs> hey, George, she doesn't call for muffin either, though. She oh. doesn't call for muffin, but that's because I think her boyfriend <laughs> was there. I think it's because muffin's dead, I, George. That, that, it seems possible, but here's what I, yeah. think. I think. As the monkey said, muffin is dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that Paul sacrifices himself to fend off Jason for a little bit when he comes through the window. And he buys enough time for the authorities to show up and scare off Jason. And this is why they arrive and load up Ginny, because he Jason has to sort of flee to the woods again with his with his prize of Paul's corpse. And uh, you know, I think good for you, Paul, for sacrificing yourself. But uh, you know, she I think I think that it, when he comes through, she the fact that it goes into slow motion, I think that she's like kind of blacking out in in a panic. And she just loses that time, and we don't get to see Paul have this fight, but, uh, you know, and I certainly think it's open to interpretation. We can go around and talk about what everyone thinks happens, but uh, that, for my money, that's that's uh, how it pans out. Anyone have any disparate, differing opinions on that? <laughs> I think Paul and Ginny died um, in a drunk diving accident and never make it back to King. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy it. I'd buy that's it. all a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we do know at some point Jason does get a haircut between now and Friday 3, so it could be he lost his hair in the fight with Paul. Maybe Paul yeah. rips it out. Or maybe they share a tender moment and he, he decides to cut his hair. Yeah. Uh, I've heard thoughts that the whole final jump scare, that whole scene, is all something that she imagines uh, as she's passing out. Um, and so that doesn't happen, so Muffin isn't really there. It's really dead, and Paul was not there with her. Um, I don't know if I believe that, but I have heard that theory before. Yeah, it's super ambiguous, um, except for at the very end, we go back to the shack. The, the viewer does. Let's go back, and we don't s- back to the shack. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't, we don't see Jason. So in terms of dream scenarios, if I don't know if I have a definitive stance one way or the other. I can kind of watch it and play around with it either way. But if it is a dream, Paul doesn't come to the shack. I think mm-hmm. at some point in killing Jason, Jenny's trauma blacks her out. She shambles her way back uh, to the cabin at some point in the night and then dreams up Paul being there, dreams up Muffin and, and the jump scare and the whole works. Because um, I think three is just Jason shambling in the dirt crawling with the with the machete still embedded right is that right how I three so. opens so i think she leaves him in the shack and paul's already dead he, he died in the room wow folks make your own decisions <laughs> this is do the research watch the movie let us know i think these are the this is a great ambiguity in this movie, right? Like, is Paul dead? Did the rat pee? These are the questions that were left with. Our brown underwear seduction. Yes. Yes. Well, that was not so I think that's obvious. Yeah, uh, 
<laughs> she went from black to brown underwear. That was perplexing. It was essentially still the seventies design wise. Brown was in. Yeah, brown was in. Especially that particular <laughs> shade of brown was in. Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> um, but our final shot back in the shack. Pamela Voorhees' head remains on the altar with Jason nowhere to be found. I know originally they wanted the head to wink. Really, really glad that that did not make the cut. I think that would have really, really just would have been a huge stumble right at the end. Um, I'm curious if anyone thinks that that would have been fun. They wanted it to winking. I've only heard they wanted winking is such a so winking is such a Freddy thing. Yeah, I'm gonna say something controversial, but I recently watched The Shining. And that reminds me of that last shot of Jack Nicholson. It doesn't work. It, oh, yeah. the, the wink wouldn't work, and that last shot of Jack Nicholson for me doesn't work either. So to further that ambiguity, tell me him in the photo or him in the in the snow. Yeah. The further the ambiguity with uh, Paul is the the writer has said that yes, Paul is dead, and that the wink and then Pamela even kind of smiles. And it's to represent like, haha, where's Paul? I Paul's dead. Uh, and, and so I guess they did film that, but it was as ridiculous as it sounds <laughs> to to have a human head just smiling and winking. Well, yeah, it's it is interesting because it's so like the, the head in the shrine is so clearly an actor when you compare it to the head in the fridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the head in the fridge, first of all. Holy crap, these Blu-rays look fucking incredible. Guys, yeah, that they look good. looks so good. <laughs> yeah, it looks just like her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, she's rotting <laughs> and in the fridge, so her head contracted. <laughs> but, um, I but, legitimately yeah. think the one in the fridge looks like her. The one oh, you do? The, yeah, the one on the altar later is not the one that's used in the fridge. No, no. The no. one in the fridge right. looks like Betsy Palmer. The one in the altar looks very stupid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Burn on that lady. That, that one is so clearly her head under there. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that one is so just clearly like a rubber yeah. mask, though, yeah. right? The one on the fr- on the altar. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it was like a cast that they made and and all that jazz. Yeah, I think that the one in the fridge looks uh, way better. But whatever, this is fine. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad that it doesn't wink. So I'm, I'll take it. I'll take what we got. Um, uh, and that's it. I mean, I think that um, that it, it's a great movie. We can go around now. I'll. Normally, I let the guests start with with explaining why not only this is a good movie, but it is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. Um, but before this started, I did tell people that since we were doing a little bit of a roundtable episode, they did not necessarily have to feel beholden to that. So I will start with why I think that this is the best horror movie ever made. And to me, it's because not only does it establish one of the most long-lasting and my personal favorite of the big franchises, um, I think that it is scary at points, which is not something that happens a lot in the Friday the 13th franchise in particular. I think that there are scarier moments more frequently in a lot of the other franchises, but that's partially because Friday is so fun at its core and I think that this movie really delivers both it has the scary moments it has the fun it has characters we like and that we want to see make it through and we're devastated when they don't and we're happy to see them when they do and I think that the whole ride is very fun that the way that people sort of have backlashed against Scorsese for saying that superhero movies are a thrill ride 
to me, that's what I'm looking for from a movie like Friday the 13th. And I think that Friday the 13th 2 perfectly executes that thrill ride that I'm looking for when I watch a silly slasher. And for me, that's why this is the best horror movie ever made. Plus, like I said, uh, best horror, best final girl, which is a huge mark in the pro column for it. So that's my thoughts. I, I'll let people sort of jump in now. Well, I would say this is the best horror movie ever made just because it's it's people supporting each other and it's not negative the only negativity comes from Jason basically <laughs> other than that there every single so many times in movies I watch movies and it just feels they, like they they have to force a bad relationship or they have to force a, one character that's just an asshole to everybody else they they feel like they have to create some kind of tension yeah, or conflict. some kind of problem and so many times like with movies i don't want there to be those problem characters i just kind of want to watch people have a good time or like people get along together i don't know sometimes i don't want there to be a problem in a movie that needs to be solved and so that's what this movie kind of presents is this group of people that are just gelling and then jason hits them and so it's different than so many other slashers that present people that you just want to be murdered where these people are just nice and friendly and i i I enjoy their presence i have to say not only is this i'm going to go with the caveat of one of the best uh horror movies ever made it's one of the most important because it did take all of these things that were quickly becoming tropes and showed everyone the right way to use them the the characters who like i said even later in this series you have to have the characters that you dislike because you want to see them get off in this one there's a the fine balance of wanting the the thrill of watching someone get it but actually liking that person as well and it, it handles that so much better than you know most of the future movies do and i think that something that can act as a roadmap for uh, us still if you were to try to make a movie I would go back to this one rather than one of the later ones or one of the more modern slashers I would go back to this one as kind of a, a better template to, to follow yeah. so uh, I'm going to jump in here because uh, Josh used some words that I was thinking myself I, this isn't necessarily um the most exciting one which it's a totally great friday movie and at one point it was my favorite um but i think i think it has i think in the history of horror and slashers it's like uh uh to reuse a word it it's like the template you want like there's there's so much good about it um and it may not have like the greatest gore kills but it's got so much good going for it that you can't discount it at all and i think there's a innumerable innumerable amount of crappy slasher movies that are like a one-tenth of this movie that i'll continue to watch and search (laughs) out but they just like don't even stack up um like we said a few times uh 
what really makes us stand out and appreciate this is the fact that Jason feels human. I think we like the characters because they feel human, right? And it's, there's just a real care in portraying these as real people. Um, I think, you know, there's not that kind of forced drama that Sean mentioned. There's not, like, forced conflict. And it's just nice people get to be themselves and hang out, and then Jason gets to <laughs> kill them. Um, and it is just, like, uh, none of it feels, like... None of it feels forced, if that makes sense. None of it feels like it's manufactured. It all just kind of unfolds naturally because it, it feels like a natural and real movie. Yeah, to repeat a lot of notes, I think this is the best horror movie ever made because it harnesses the energy and the fun and the excitement of the late 70s slasher boom. It, it takes that and it distills all of it and wraps it up and improves the part that needs improving and it makes a new genre for the 80s and it carries that on also it has the hottest guys in a slasher movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's go ahead Justin. i would say it's the best horror movie ever no, made. oh i'm sorry uh i would say it's the best horror movie ever made because like everyone already said it is probably the scariest jason it has legit scares. He's a very creepy guy. And it's fun. It's not scared to have a little fun, guys. And I need a little bit of that sometimes. So, like, with what's going on today in horror, it's like uh, these A24, the hereditaries and stuff. They they are excellent horror movies. But sometimes Weak. I just need a Friday the 13th Part 2. That's all I'm going to say. Also, uh, I think the head should have winked, so release the weed. <laughs> this, is, this is the cat's butthole cut of Friday the 13th Part 2. I mean, everything's basically already been said, but uh, I think this is the best horror movie ever made because there's, there's times where I'll sit and I'll watch all the movies in a row, um, but if I ever just pick one up to watch, it's usually two. Um, it just has a feeling of, of, I hate to use the word perfection because it's not at all uh, perfect in, perfect in almost any way, but at the same time right here it is for me, you know, um, because basically everything everyone's already said, you know, uh, it's probably one of the only ones where you, you know, actually like every character in the movie. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not enough that, like, you really care that they're all being murdered, you know? You're also enjoying <laughs> that because that's you so like well them, done. like not too much. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, that's so well done from that side that you're also kind of rooting for the killer because you're like, wow, this is really fun to watch. It's, a, it's, it's fun from beginning to end. There's never a part where it's just, like, you know, a slog to get through. Yeah. Um, but, uh... Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on that. Yeah, uh, this, I think, is one of the best horror movies of all time because, it, for me, when I was watching it the other day, uh, I just, outside of the murder, like, this is a movie that I would <laughs> love to live in. <laughs> it's that, yeah. like, just the people there, the clothes, the atmosphere, Jeff's hat, it's all in place for me. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you guys nailed it. There's yeah. there's not much to add. I think we'll all just be singing its praises. But uh, <laughs> the group of kids works so well. It's just such a great cast. It's one of the times that you believe they're all hanging out and that they would be hanging out. 
and you know it's also work so it's you know their colleagues more than their friends but they still know each other and they sometimes still go off in their cliques as well but uh, you don't have a Shelly that's just there uh, and man when things turned and it became let's hate the cast and kill them off and let's have despicable <laughs> characters oh that just kills me because it, it's it's just so cozy to come back and watch just a group of good looking kids hanging out uh so yeah i i co-sign wanting to hang out i want to go to that dive bar man i want to i want to drive yeah. a sh- <laughs> that badass chevy cheyenne how did how did he let the six random kids just take his badass 77 chevy and just oh yeah go ahead and go <laughs> Go get blasted tonight. Uh, That's um, Paul, But yeah, it's just... Totally. What a sweetie. Um, But yeah, it's it's just... It's perfect. We've said template. I think every single one of us said template. But it really is. It's taken all of those tropes. uh, Almost literally all of them. You've got the Prophet of Doom. You've got the jump scare cat. You've got fake outs. You've got everything. Uh, so yeah. it, it, it's it's just that perfect mold that would go on uh, forever. We're, we're, we still we still try to tap into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you raise a really good point about them sort of knowing each other, but not everyone knows everyone. Like when Paul is introducing himself and is like. I recognize a few of you from having worked like w- like to train you previously, but like <laughs> it very much is still the disparate groups. I think that does feel pretty realistic and does help to give them these little groups that they can separate into. Um, anyway, I don't want to get back into the discussion. Real quick, I remember a, a line from that scene when he's talking about them, and it made me laugh because he points at what's his Mark, the guy in the wheelchair. And he's like, I think I think we've worked together before, right? It's like you wouldn't remember the guy in the wheelchair, like. <laughs> like I think maybe, maybe. Oh, I think he's even like well, it was like three or four times, huh? Three. <laughs> <laughs> it was a remarkable amount. I think it happened. Um, well, folks, I mean, what a blast this was to have you all on. I had such a fun time talking about this excellent excellent movie with you i would like to do sort of a lightning round of plugs so i'm just going to call out your name if you don't have anything specific to plug just tell us something that you have enjoyed recently uh greg let's start with you sure um i <laughs> the thing that people can find you can find me on letterboxd uh just my full name gregory james anderson on letterboxd um i review everything i watch on there i do at least a few paragraphs and everything so if you just want, you know, some random dude's <laughs> views on movies and shit, mostly horror, um, you can follow me there. There you go. Austin. I've got nothing to plug. Um, so other than this podcast, I will recommend the With Gorley and Rust podcast, which brought us all together because it's a great show. It certainly is. Sean. Uh, I have no social media except for the Gorlian Rest Discord, so I will say everyone should watch Swiss Army Man because it is beautiful and weird, and I adore that movie. Co-signed, yeah, great movie. Josh. I've got nothing to plug uh, at this point. Two two long dead podcasts, (laughs) but who wants to go back three years to listen to those? Um, But I would like to say the movie Eight and a Half by Fellini. Uh, I just watched it last night. I'm working my way through Sight and Sound's top 250 list or whatever it is that they do every every decade. Yep. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's as good as you've heard. It's it's one of those things, polar opposite from this, but is fantastic. Then <laughs> there you go, uh, Jason. Nothing for me. Uh, don't do much. Uh, I watch a lot of horror movies, uh, slashers, stuff like that. Uh, Robert Paulson on the Discord. Uh, that's what, about uh, it. What's something you like? Tell us a movie you watched recently that you enjoyed. The movie I watched recently, um, The Faculty. That's faculty one. is one I go to back to. I, I actually did today, in fact. <laughs> uh, I watched that one recently. It's, it's a good one to go back to. It's solid. Yeah, after Pam Weaver already had the Williamson, burn on Kevin right? Williamson. <laughs> yeah. I'll go back right, to Williamson, uh, Scream, all that jazz. Hell yeah. Garrett. Um, I want to plug DK's Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing Aww. myself. But uh, I've been listening to his music, and damn, it's so good. Uh, if you're into... Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, if you're into the electronic scores from these beloved slashers or you like video game chiptune music it's a perfect blend of that so what yeah. where where is it dustin how do, how do they get there we can segue into my <laughs> plugs here i guess uh it's d k r e f f t it's uh at bandcamp.bandcamp.com so dcraft at bandcamp.com uh, i thank you so much for bringing that up uh it's like um yeah like he said i couldn't <laughs> describe it better um also, really quickly, I do have my own podcast. It's called Nerds Geeks in the Kitchen Sink. It is not like this show. This show kicks ass <laughs> uh, and is really well produced, well thought out, and well executed. Uh, mine isn't, uh, but if you want to talk about some eh, Marvel and comic books, and we do a lot of horror as well, that kind of thing, Nerds Geeks in the Kitchen Sink. That's all I got. Yeah, Thank I'm you for having me. I'm going to push back on Dustin's claim that it's not as good because I happen to love his podcast. Um, and I, I think that uh, oh. he's a swell guy on top of running a good show and making good music. So there you go. Uh, Russell, you're up. <laughs> uh, I continue to produce nothing, but you should probably go watch uh, Adam Brody's recent movie, The Kid Detective. Fantastic movie. Very good. Uh, I recently watched a 40s comedy called Hell's a Poppin', which is basically uh, the Marx Brothers meets Airplane. It's fantastic. And go watch Alien 3. Uh, i got nothing um my one recommendation would be the tales from the crypt episode that arnold schwarzenegger directed (laughs) that's fun he's in it too right yeah he's he stars as himself in the in the opening it's great hell yeah uh as far as my plugs you can find me as always on twitter at little horror phl uh, that is I mean, that username is everywhere. It's on Letterboxd if you want to see my reviews, which are usually a lot less in-depth than the podcast. Um, but I'm on there. Uh, if you're really enjoying the show, you can sign up for the Patreon, where we're doing all kinds of fun bonus stuff, like an X-Files watch-along. It's my first time watching X-Files, everybody. Isn't that fun? Uh, <laughs> so. Hey, George, you're, you're, thank you so much. Dude. You're such a wonderful host. I really enjoy your show, and this two and a half hours flew by. <laughs> I had such a great time. Like th- this was so much fun, man. And I really look forward to all your future episodes. Yeah, very generous of you to open it up to us. Yeah. Uh, we really well, appreciate it. My pleasure. It. And uh, of course, I highly co-sign the recommendation that everyone check out with Gorley and Rust. And uh, you know, if you really enjoy that, sign up for their Patreon too, because part of that is joining the Discord and getting to hang out with all of us, lovely folks, and. Uh, 
there's a lot of other great people who wanted to make it and unfortunately couldn't for various reasons but uh, shout out to them they're all wonderful people in their own right as well and uh, have a lot of great horror knowledge combined in, in there so definitely check it out if you're a horror fan um, uh, yeah that's it rate and review I guess no one ever does it smash that like button <laughs> <laughs> we need to do an ad drop uh, all right Hey George, can I can I do your uh, your intro yeah, music? Yeah, right, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Short to the point. I'm going to use that as the outro for this one. <laughs> which you, yeah, which slow it down. Right now. Bye. <laughs>